The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Fill her up! You're listening to the Gas Digital Network. Conceive, believe, achieve. Shut the f*** up. <laughs> You're listening to Believe You Me with Michael the Count Bisbing. You know my name yet? And Anthony Lionheart-Smith. Anthony Smith will be with us in a minute. Ladies and gentlemen, do not adjust your screens. Ha! Anthony Smith has not got way better looking, right? Hasn't aged a few years, a few pounds. Of course, we are joined by the one, the only, the play-by-play, the face of MMA play-by-play, the one and only John Annie. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. What an absolute pleasure to be here with you on the award-winning Believe You Me podcast, <laughs> the Mixed Martial Arts Analyst of the Year. Great to be with you, you know? And uh, I know I'm going to see you pretty soon, but uh, it's nice to see your shining face on StreamYard, at least today. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, we're just waiting for Anthony. He's he's training, obviously. He's one part of that main event. Going right. Down. Well, potentially, potentially. So he's training. So he's just setting up as we speak. Uh, he could have get into the Airbnb and things like that. So we'll just chew the fat Let's for, do it. For, for a few minutes. Uh, Christmas, my friend. You know, how, how was the break? It was nice. You know, I think a lot of our American viewers sort of understand that since the UFC did that television deal with ESPN, that we have this little three or four week respite around the college football bowl season. And for guys like you and me, I know your schedule is breakneck no matter the year, going to Bulgaria, filming movies and everything else. But for me, bro, doing 25 UFC events a year to get this little three or four week respite was really a blessing in disguise. I feel rejuvenated and uh, I'm actually excited to go to Brazil, which isn't something that I was saying. You know, five or six years ago when I was going there six or seven times a year. So Yeah, no, exactly. It's weird, isn't it? Because, you know, when you say to like, you know, just, you know, average people, you know, I'm going down to Brazil, they go, whoa, that's <laughs> awesome. It's like, no, bro. And it's nothing against Brazil. It's like a lot of these places, it isn't a vacation. Uh, but just back to what you say, I mean, it's very kind of you to say that I'm flying around doing movies. That's not the case. It's one every, one every blue moon, one every blue moon. But um the break, the downtime, you know, yeah, it was nice, but I am itching to get back. I'm itching to watch some fights. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know. What do you do? I mean, you like all sports, though, John. I'm I'm a knucklehead. I only yeah. like fights. Right. Well, yeah, the flip side, obviously, is that when I am sitting around on a Saturday night, I, like the rest of the fan base, is jonesing for a UFC live event, right? I find myself paying maybe more attention to boxing. But yeah, certainly for me, smack dab in the middle of the NFL season, I have some distractions. I also, you know, have a bunch of dependents flying around. Obviously, like you, I have three kids, so that has kept me busy. You know, we went up to Connecticut, New York for a little bit and uh, experienced the cold weather and saw my wife's family. But yeah, man, like I think when you get into this sort of pattern where you're watching the UFC 42 of 52 Saturday nights and then there are four consecutive dark Saturday nights. Yeah, man, I don't necessarily know what to do with myself either. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Brian's just saying, can you turn it down just a little? Yeah. And, and just so we can uh, be clear, John Anik is always the professional. We just started. It was low, and John's like, I don't want to turn it up too much because I'm going to peak, and he's going to distort, and we're like, no, it's fine. But, of course, John was correct. Um, we're just trying to – I tell you what, we'll go through some of the non-MMA stuff just while we wait for Anthony to join us and while we get into it. 
Uh, I wanted to save a few of these, but about Harrington. Do you know Harrington, John? Have you ever met Harrington? Your producer. I follow him on social media, but I don't know that we've actually formally met him. Well, I apologize for his presence on social media. Huh. He, he tries far, far too hard. He's always trying to fight people. <laughs> you know, he thinks he's a fighter. Uh, but Harrington, always a pleasure to have you on here, buddy. Uh, throw something at us, my friend. Okay. Uh, actually, I just want to point out, we did meet at UFC 2. Uh, we met at UFC at MSG. And I told you, I really enjoy every time you're on the Ryan Russillo podcast. You're the man, dude. Oh, okay. Uh, now I can make the connection. No, no, no. My bad. What an asshole, John. <laughs> you know, you didn't have to do that. You didn't have to say, you know what, we've actually met before. You know, we had a conversation. You met my kids. You came to my house for dinner. And you forget me. You could have just let that one go, but you had to sh throw a little shade, Harrington. I'm just letting people know how forgettable I really am. Um, <laughs> so check this out, guys. A, a man from Ecuador, he legally changed his gender, right? Not for the reason you may be thinking. Uh, the country has a law in place where if a divorce settlement is going on, uh, the custody of the child will always revert back to the mother. So this guy changed his gender so that he, too, can be the mother of his daughter and get custody while they're figuring it out in the courts. What do you guys think of that? Right, right. John, I just want to apologize. Right. <laughs> I meant throw us a nice little lighthearted topic, not potentially one that might be filled with minefields and you don't want to say the wrong thing. Harrington, we did not discuss that, okay? It's in the notes, but that is the first one that you throw. I mean, I mean we've got London named the City of the Year. What else have we got? We've got all kinds of easy low ball stuff where we're not potentially going to offend the trans community. And, and, and you know what I mean? We're, we're going to pretend that bit didn't happen. Throw us that story, Harrington. Uh, number five, because John's a world traveler. He can chime in on this one. Certainly. And I mean, you guys have been to, to a bunch of these cities just for your UFC duties over the last year. London uh, was ranked, according to worldsbestcities.com, as the best city for 2023. Uh, the 11 million population city is now reaching pre-COVID capacity numbers again. And, and London is apparently alive. Number one place to visit 2023. And can I just throw in, I think that was the last seven years in a row as well, John. Now, oh. I'm not going to sit here and say that London is the best city in the world. Uh, it's a bloody great city and I'm biased and I love it. But you do travel the world, John. Yeah. You know, we are very lucky in that yeah. regard. Yeah. Uh, the traveling, you know, how do you find that? And what would be your favorite city on planet Earth? By the way, Clitheroe coming in at number 37. Wow. Clitheroe, I'll stand up to, to quote John. So candidly for me, like I was the homesick camper g growing up, right? I didn't want to go to overnight camp and be away from my parents for seven weeks. So when I started with the UFC, it was a little bit of an adjustment being away 100 nights a year. And even now, as I get ready to go to Perth and be away from my kids for a week, it's not ideal for me, at least in terms of the way that I am wired in terms of my DNA. So it has been an adjustment for me. Obviously, you're right. We have had the chance to sort of explore the world on somebody else's dime and Oftentimes, the nature of our jobs as announcers is such that we're not necessarily out socializing as much as uh, maybe we would like to be. But I love Australia, obviously, and I know you can speak to that. The last time I called a fight in England was 2013. Now, I did go over to see your fight against Anderson Silva in 2016. I'm very thankful I was in the building, but I only... Let me guess. Fight show. Let, let, let me guess the fight that you called. 2013, I'm going to say... Mark Munoz, Loyalto Machida in Manchester. Yes, and it was, I believe, Hennon Burrell at Michael McDonald, if I'm not mistaken, for an interim Bantamweight championship at some point in time. 
Right, right. But obviously with this March 18th show beckoning, that'll be the first time if I get the call uh, to call a UFC fight in front of an English crowd for being 10 years, bro. That's pretty special for me. So. That, 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 that is amazing. 10 years. 10 years. You know, what am I now? I think I just started my fourth, which I'm yeah. very... I'm pretty pretty proud of that. Um, that is going to be an incredible fight card, March 18th. Obviously, we haven't had the announcement yet. I mean, if you know anything official from behind the scenes, I don't expect to divulge it. But what do you know, Joss? <laughs> oh, I know Bilal Muhammad was on Believe You Me recently. And if he was in line to be getting that title shot on March 18th, I feel like I would know something, right? He hosts a podcast with my twin brother. Mm. I consider Bilal to be family, right? Yeah. I do read it to manager Ali Abdelaziz's tweet maybe more than I should when he says everybody needs to relax about the Kamar Usman injuries. He's going to make the walk. He's going to fight Leon. So obviously, given the nature of that result, Leon Edwards against Kamar Usman last August, they had to run this one back right away, right? Like when you look at Israel Adesanya and Alex Pereira, I think that'll be an immediate rematch too, but I don't think they need to absolutely unequivocally strike right now. Whereas with Leon Edwards and Kamar Usman, I think you got to do that fight right now. So I remain cautiously optimistic that that is going to be the fight March 18th, but I don't have to tell you we're about nine, ten weeks out right now. So, And, and that is the only thing that gives me a kind of a, a seed of doubt. I mean, Ali's coming out. He's, you know, he's putting all those flames uh, to, you know, he's putting those flames out. Uh, but we're not too far away, and it hasn't been announced. I mean, the event has, but the main event hasn't. And... Kamaru, I haven't seen it, but he's walking around with kind of a brace over his hand, looking like he had surgery. And Kamaru being the pound for pound number one, formerly, being the longtime champion, you know, people were talking about him taking George St. Pierre's throne as the greatest welterweight of all time, potentially the goal one day, you know, rushing back into that after getting knocked out with potentially a sore hand. That wouldn't sound like a smart move. And by the way, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to shit on that fight because I hope it happens so big. But I don't know. I, th I think all of us having a seed of doubt or a shred of doubt or whatever the goddamn expression that this stupid brain can't think of is, uh, I think it's warranted. Yeah, no, I agree. And I know Ali wants people like me to stop with the rumor and the conjecture, right? But we have heard that Kamar Usman, in terms of his knees, maybe aren't optimally healthy. So I don't know. We got to see how it plays out. But I certainly don't have to tell you. It takes a very special circumstance and fighter for us to do a pay-per-view in the United Kingdom. And seemingly we have that right now. Obviously, we had it with you and Dan Henderson. That was the last time we did a pay-per-view over there. I wasn't even the number one guy. So, needless to say, man, I'm hoping that it all aligns for March 18th. I find it hard to believe that you do Leon Edwards and, you know, Bilal Muhammad uh, or even Jorge Masvidal as the main event March 18th. But I guess we'll find out. Who was the play-by-play -play guy for that one? I know Brian Stein Goldberg. Was he yeah. really? Yep. It was that last year, I believe. Yeah, I was going to say it must have been one of his last ones. Oh, well. Oh, well. Never mind. Never mind. Uh, well, fingers crossed that happens. The thing is for Leon, I was thinking about this the other day. I think like the top five in that division, for the most part, I think they're all very, very strong grapplers. So he kind of stands out as the only striker. You've got Burns, Hamza, Kamaru, Bilal, Luke He's kind of a striker. He's a bit more well-rounded. So, yeah, it's... it's, it's uh, so tough road ahead, even if he's not Kamaru. There's some very, very strong contenders there. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Colby Covington is going to all of a sudden reemerge and find himself at a championship setting. I don't think it's going to be Hamzat Shimaev and Leon Edwards because I think that not only would Hamzat be probably about a four or five to one favorite, but I do think the promotion is going to strategically try to preserve the immediate rematch between Kamaru Usman and Leon Edwards. And certainly, as Chael Sonnen and others have articulated, if you're Leon Edwards, 
maybe try to find the guy that you think you can beat among the names that are presented. And again, I don't think it's going to be Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, but do I think that's a more winnable fight for Leon Edwards than some of the grapplers out there? I do. So, uh, yeah, we'll for sure. We'll see what happens. And, I, and I'll be honest, Wonderboy versus Leon, take my money, by the way. Oh, yeah. Could you imagine that fight? That would be sensational. But still, we shall wait and see. Did you hear the news, John, that the GOAT, the GLOAT, the Eagle, the oh. undefeated? I'm not, talk I'm not talking about you, Mr. I'm late to bloody everything, Anthony Smith. Right, we'll get to that in a minute, John. Anthony, what's going on, brother? How are you, man? Uh, I'm a partial dead body, man. These huh. people, these killers in Denver are just, I'm like, fresh meat man i don't know what happened i was such a nice guy to all those youngsters and now they're kicking my ass <laughs> oh shit so who you who you training with anyone we know uh yeah i've been with dustin jacoby and uh cody brundage a bunch lately um those guys are on fire man they're they're ready they're just itching for short notice opportunities so they're ready to go hey john i was saying and i say it every show i mean what a guy and i'm not blowing smoke up your ass Anthony. You know, to, to be in there, you know, obviously, as you say, you get in your ass kicked. We all know how hard it is to prepare for a fight. And there's other people that have done this before as well, but still, it's the first time I've known somebody personally. You know, to be going through those rigors, the mental and the physical toughness of a training camp, when you might not even have the fight, I, you know, I, that's, that speaks a lot about your character, Anthony. Yeah, you know, it's a, I think it's a little bit unfair uh, for me, maybe compared to other people, because... I'm still fighting in March if the title fight goes ahead like like I suspect that it probably will. So uh, we're still targeting that March 11th date. Um, I think there's just a couple other things that got to fall into place. Um, obviously, we got our eyes super close on that Johnny Walker, Paul Craig mm -hmm. fight. Um, and just kind of the way the division is shaking out. We'll see what happens in the title fight. Um, one of those guys want to turn around quick. Uh, I might be the only guy left. Well, just so you know, from the BT Sport, I had to just do it today. I had to predict all the champions this time next year. And in light heavyweight, I predicted Anthony Smith. There we go. No, the, but, I, but I thought I have to. Well, so I'm just going to get shit you out have everyone. To. You have to. <laughs> anyway, have no offense. No, no offense, Anthony. We were supposed to like do a 30-minute segment at the start and then John comes in and we talk all about John. Okay, so I'm sorry. You you, you missed that part. John Anik, back to you, sir. Uh, Khabib. Oh, sorry, should I say Habib? Yeah. has just uh, called it a day completely. Not from only... Uh, competing in the sport, but coaching for the most part. I believe in Dagestan, localized, he's still going to be involved, but he's done traveling the world, which kind of ties into what we were talking about a second ago. All the, you know, all, all the miles in the air, etc. staying in hotels. He's walked away from the sport. Uh, what, what is your comments on that, John? Well, he took one look at that Perth itinerary and he said, you know what, I'm not going to Western Australia, right? I mean, I'm telling you, man, like, I get that Perth itinerary, it gives me fucking anxiety for fucks, right? Now, I think it remains to be seen as to whether or not Khabib Nurmagomedov would selectively corner one of his cousins or Islam Akashev at a championship setting, right? He just cornered Bilal Muhammad for that win over Sean Brady, and Bilal was sort of expected that now he was going to maybe have Khabib moving forward. So would he selectively corner a couple fighters here or there? I don't know. I still think he has value tremendously on fight night. But if you're not there for eight or ten weeks prior— you know, how does that affect the corner dynamic? I mean, there are a lot of unknowns that I think Habib will answer in the weeks to come. I think, Anthony, we probably get our first answer in Perth uh, as to whether or not he's actually there for Islam's first title defense. Yeah, that was going to be my my question to you because you, you, you see a lot of the stuff that even me as an analyst, I don't get to see. I don't get to see how 
they interact with each other during the the fighter meetings and the and the meetings they have with the broadcasting crew. I don't get to see all that stuff. So um my question was going to be do you do you really think that he's going to not go to Perth and because he has so many plans for Islam. He he talked about how many title defenses he wanted him to have and and when he wanted him to retire. He almost almost seemingly had the rest of Islam's career kind of planned out for him. It seems very odd that he would step away at least from that individual fighter and, and like you said maybe his you know some family members, some cousins and and stuff like that halfway through a training camp right if i was islam i would say this is number one bullshit (laughs) no but but what do you think of that john yeah no i really think that for islam obviously javier mendez has been a unifying force for that team and i don't think that islam's corner is going to be all that adversely affected at least for this volkanovsky fight if khabib Nurmagomedov is not there but i think for a lot of us and i could speak to it probably to a lesser extent than you guys as the professional athletes but A lot of us are away and make a lot of familial sacrifices to do what we do. And even for me, talking to my wife, like I'm in New Orleans for some voiceover work right now, and it's not even a UFC live event, and I'm essentially gone all week. You know, a lot of us that provide for our families while being away have a lot of hard conversations, and sometimes they don't just happen, you know, when your contract is up, you know. So I think that's part of the pull for Khabib. What does it mean for his promotion, right? This man has his own promotion as well that he is the face of. So I don't know. Right now, you guys know me as a betting man. I do think he'll be in Islam's corner in Perth. But uh, so do I. if I see what's out there right now, it doesn't necessarily seem like he's committed to that at all. So, yeah, I, I mean, I would have thought that he'll show up and maybe say, look, this is the last one, though. But I get it. I mean, everything that you just said, John, you know, I mean, we all know we're all fathers. We all have crazy schedules traveling all over the world and people at home sitting there listening to this map. Oh, cry me a fucking river, you know, but it does. It does. It's a strain. It's hard. You know, like I I'm always explaining to Lucas. He's my youngest. He's like that. How long are you going to be gone for? And you can see the disappointment in his eye and things like that. So I'm going to say I really respect you for doing this, you know, I mean, because he's got. He's, he's worshipped all over the world. People love the man. He's made a lot of money. He's got the fame. He's got the records. He's known as the GOAT to some people. I mean, what more can you do? And rather than walk or travel planet Earth, you know, and pampering his ego and people bowing down to him, he's going to stay in that little village, Mahachkala, I think it's called, and you'll get me on the pronunciation, John. <laughs> Mahachkala in Dagestan. And said, no, I'm not. Yeah. Mahachkala. All right, all right, all right. Uh, and, and just not. <laughs> Mahaj Kala. Uh, no, but he's going he's to forfeit all that to, to be present for his family. And I think, I mean, as a man, as a father and a husband, I think that's incredible. Yeah, and I also think, and you guys, again, can speak to this better than I can, but, man, did everybody want a fucking piece of that guy. Right now, all of a sudden, he became omnipresent at a lot of these UFC live events since his retirement, whether it's being there for one of his cousins, Abubakar, or being there for Islam. And Anthony, I mean, you know, obviously you're there as an analyst. Like, everybody wants a piece of this guy. And I just think at some point the noise, maybe, for him just got to be too much. And he's thinking, you know what? I retired, and now there's, like, even more noise than there was before. Yeah, I think there is something to that, John, to be honest with you. that Even going into my last fight, you know, I kind of, battling injuries a little bit so I kind of was out of the conversation of people I guess talking shit like wanting to fight and always calling you out and always have something to say and once you're out of it for a little while and then you come back and then you fight and, it, and it's it's so loud and it, and it's it, it it I think that's a really good point that gets missed it's it's someone's constantly wanting to kick your ass and, and it seem, seemingly is worse 
now that he's been retired than it was before because there wasn't very many people that were screaming for a, a, a Habib fight while he was still actively competing, and lots of people want to now that it's unlikely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, Conor McGregor's always talking crap about him, always calling him out, giving him this rent-free in his head. Uh, John, we, we we're going to ask you a lot of questions, and we got a lot of Twitter questions as well, but we're going to go through a couple of the topics, if you don't mind, if you have the time. Because um, I'm sure people want to hear all about how you got involved and then started in what you do for a living. But I want to ask you both, did you two drink a lot of energy drinks when you were younger or throughout your life, or do you still do that to this day? Yes. <laughs> yeah, a lot. John, I, John, I, what do you say? Energy I try not to during camp. So when Brian Stamp was my broadcast partner, I was like a monster, sugar-free monster energy drink fiend. I was drinking like two a show. I don't do it as much right now. Occasionally, I'll have a monster, especially during a broadcast if I'm feeling it a little bit. But uh, yeah, for the most part, I try to steer clear. I do like the buzz, though. You know that. Well, this 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 is all making a lot of sense to me, guys. Harrington, come on and 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 pray tell. Explain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well done, Brian. That is a... No, no, Harrington, just explain though. Explain. That's what it is. Yeah, some researchers come out and says that uh, energy drinks are the leading cause of hair loss. So it turns out, uh, yeah, that you do have a way more likely chance to lose your hair if you are imbibing energy drinks, and then also specifically any kind of fizzy drink, right? So it's the caffeine in there and just the the fizziness. So like any kind of seltzer, sodas, both of those things combined uh, really, really do a damage on your hair fall. I call bullshit to be honest, because I'm I don't I'm not the healthiest guy on planet Earth, you know what I mean? But what do you say to that, guys? Well, I mean, for Anthony Smith, I mean, it looks like maybe his hair's got a little recession going on right now. Uh, it's a lot. It's, uh-huh. it's, it's, it's not great. <laughs> I'm a little offended, to be honest, that John Anik was was thrown into this group. Guys, John Anik's hairline is fire. Look, he just chooses to be full head of it, hair. It, that it is, is that, great. Like, if you see his brother, his brother has beautiful hair. So, yeah, John chooses to be a part of this club, and, and I'm not sure that we should allow it anymore. Well, I cleaned my hair out once in my 11 years with the UFC, and I felt like I looked like a fucking clown. I mean, you can go back and look at the footage, me interviewing Mark Munoz, my hair added down from my headset. No, yes, many of you know I have an identical twin brother. He hasn't had a haircut since 2018. It goes down to his ass. Yeah, I don't think it looks particularly good, but I don't know. I've been shaving my head, having a short haircut since I was like 14 years old. At the end of the day, honestly, I'm just trying to be as confident as possible in my own skin. That's why I had a mustache for two years, however wayward a decision that was. And uh, I'm confident with a bald head, and I'm going to go shave it as, as soon as we're off the air, probably. Yeah, you know, you know what, to be honest, I did the same thing. And there's your bro, by the way. What a guy. What a guy. Every time I see him, I always have the best interactions with him. Uh, I did the same thing. I think when I was about, from about 15, I was shaving my head all the time. And then I think it was when I got knocked out against Dan Henderson at UFC 100. I'm like, I'm going to change this look. I'm going to change the workout music. I'm going to change the hairstyle. And as it turns out, I've still got one. So anyway, enough of that. Anthony, what's going on in your world, buddy? Man, nothing really. You know, training. You know, the training, a lot of traveling and stuff. And then, you know, I'm home every weekend from training camp. And since 2017, I've never missed a weekend home during training camp. So I fly out Friday night. I fly back in Monday morning. Um, you know, I was really thinking about, uh, I was thinking about the podcast as I was going through the airport this morning. I have become such a miserable piece of shit going through the airport because I, I, 
I'm so efficient because I just do it so much that I have my way. Like I can't travel with my family either. It just drives me absolutely crazy because they fuck up my whole system. <laughs> but I the fuck up my whole system. How bad they be with they you? They fuck up my whole system. But like just I've I've been like in a shit mood from the airport all day today. Like it just people are absolutely miserable here. And sometimes it drives me. Just people in the lines are just complaining like they've never flown before. Maybe some of them haven't. Maybe they're just not used to it. But you just listen to them, bitch, and then they're on the plane and they're complaining. And there's always the one drunk guy, and you're like, bro, it's six a.m. What are we doing here? So that's 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 my day today is just bitching about people on the plane. It's just or in the airport in general. How do you find the traveling job? Yeah, I mean, I'm stoned half my life, but I'm walking through the Miami airport this morning, and I'm thinking, like, does does anybody exercise anymore? Is anybody nice to each other anymore? Now, certainly there are certain pockets of our country, right? Like, I'm in New Orleans right now, and I think Southern hospitality is like a real thing, right? I can't profess to you how nice they were to me when I just checked in at the hotel, when I landed at the airport here in New Orleans. But you go to New York or Los Angeles, right, which is a common entry point for internationals coming to our country for the first time. Everybody's an asshole. Yep. Mate, totally. asshole. Mate, totally. certainly immigration as well. You know, being a non-American, because it's very confusing sometimes to find the right line that you got to go into, whether you got a green card or an S there or whatever the documentation that you have. And you ask a question and you get screamed at, you get spoken to like a criminal. Granted, I am a criminal, but <laughs> but you know, you know, it's not a it's not a good look. But still, uh, Harrington, one we had one frustrated customer. On a plane recently, didn't we? That uh, perhaps you can tell us all about, if you're there. I am here. Uh, so a Wells Fargo executive is currently serving 14 days in jail in India uh, because during his business class flight, he apparently was that guy who was super drunk at 6 in the morning and decided to urinate on another passenger. Uh, he is facing a possible three years in jail if convicted of breaking India's modesty laws. Well... Piss on people in India. What do you expect? You know, we actually had a situation. I'm not going to name any names <laughs> in our UFC family in which something very similar happened. So, uh, yeah, mm. you got to keep your Johnson in your drawers when you're drinking on airplanes. But, yeah, I mean, I don't drink a lot on planes. I black out pretty easily. So I don't drink too much on airplanes, maybe one or two. But, uh, yeah, I don't want to be up in the air, you know, browning out, pissing off. I remember I landed in Brazil. I think it was the the last show before COVID uh, kicked in the lockdowns and everything. I think it was Oliveira versus Ferguson. I'm Kevin not sure. Lee. Kevin Lee, Kevin Lee. Thank you very much, John. Well done. And uh, I remember we landed and like oh, there was a few execs in the line in front of me. And I'm, I'm just woke up and I'm like, oh, you know, and then they're like, you okay, Mike? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. You go, all right. Because uh, you had a bit of an episode on the plane. Like, well, what do you mean? They're like, you were on your feet. You were screaming and shouting. Bah, bah, bah. I'm like, no, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. They went, Mike, you were. You were. I'm like, oh. and then next minute, someone else is like, are you okay? I'm like, oh, fuck's sake. Because I do this a lot. When I pass out, when I'm fully asleep, I'm often, um, yeah, shouting obscenities and whatnot. And I'm a sleepwalker? I'm not a sleepwalker. I'm asleep. Pissing Screamer. Wardrobe, I'm asleep, <laughs> piss on the couch. I'm asleep, like, run. I, I, I might not have told you, John, like, a couple of Christmases ago, I ran down the stairs naked Christmas morning, came to on the neighbor's fence uh, wall, naked, completely naked, like, five in the morning. I bloodied all my knees up. So, oh, God. Anyway, anyway, John, you should probably get that looked at. 
Yeah, no, no, some guy, because I told those stories on the Joe Rogan podcast, and then I had some smart house going on about how it's a precursor to CTE. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm sharp as hell. Maybe. All right, let's talk about Manscaped. You know the deal. Listen, it's the best in the world below the waist men's group. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. The Franken beans, the meat and two veg, the crown jewels, the balls and the penis, whatever it is, there's pubic hair surrounding them and on them. And it's gotta be trimmed. It's gotta be kept looking nice. It's gotta be buff. It's gotta be it's gotta be smooth. It's gotta be a nice surface. Or maybe that's not the look that you want. You know, fortunately with the Manscaped 4.0, you can design it however you want it. You want a Brazilian? That's about the other one that I know. But if you want some jazzy style, feel free. Jazz it up. Or if you want to go bold as a coot, go for it. Right? Whatever you wanna do. Uh, Manscaped is the best, and the reason being it has the skin-safe technology, okay? You know the deal by now because we talk about it all the time. Generally, you might get a little uh, a little nicking, a little cutting, a little bleeding, and that is the last thing you want on your most sensitive area. 4.0 is what's available. That's because it's better than the 3, the 2, and the 1, right? It's the best version yet. And also, Manscaped have a couple of packages available for you as well. They have the performance package, where you get the lawnmower 4.0, you get the body trimmer, and you get the weed whacker for the ear, hair, the nose hair. You also get crop preserver ball deodorant, keep them smelling good, and the crop reviver ball toner. Okay, that's the performance package. They've also got the platinum package, which has everything I just mentioned from the performance package, plus the ultra premium body wash, the ultra premium two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. Come on, why take two bottles into the shower? And also the ultra premium deodorant. All of Manscaped shower gear is sulfate-free vegan and may have your skin feeling hydrated and smelling fresh. They also got nail clippers, the new body buffer, and over a dozen other products that you could use in your bathroom. Step up your grooming game, okay? Or maybe just start grooming. I guarantee a lot of you don't do anything like that. Step it up, start doing it, whatever you want to do. Wash your hair, keep it vegan, uh... Uh, uh, tone your balls, spray deodorant, whatever you do, all those things, get it from manscaped.com. Use the code BISPING, you're going to get 20% off and free shipping. We all want to save money. Manscaped.com, use the code BISPING, 20% off, free shipping. John, John, we, we were talking uh, right before the new year about three fights that you would love to see happen next year and three fights that need to happen. So we're going to throw that to you, and I'm sorry to put you on the spot no, right there. Okay. And then, but yeah, in your opinion, what are three fights that need to be made this year? Well, I want to start with Zhang Weili and Valentina Shevchenko. Now, certainly there appear to be some rumblings for a fight, a third meeting between Valentina Shevchenko and Amanda Nunes. And it seems as though Valentina now has an appetite for that fight, whereas 18 months ago she didn't necessarily have Nunes on her radar. And certainly the strawweight division that Zhang Weili now rules is drunk with possible contenders and matchups for her. But if you're asking me for dream fights, I want to see Valentina Shevchenko challenged. And with respect to Tyler Santos and Aaron Blanchfield, Casey O'Neill, and everybody else, you know, I think that's a super fight. I would also say Hamzat Shimaya versus Colby Covington has been my dream fight since like the end of 2020, Mike, when we did that year-end show and we were all offering up our dream fight. So I want to see how Colby handles that challenge and vice versa. And then, of course... John Jones and Francis Ngannou, right? I mean, John Jones has been teasing a move to the UFC heavyweight division since I had zero kids. I now have three, and some of them are double digits in age, you know? So 
I want to see that fight. Probably a little bit of a cop-out, but the magnitude of that fight obviously is not lost on me. So those are three fights that uh, that are on the tip of my tongue, and I'm not sure we get any one of them, but we can hope. You don't think we'll get any? You're not sure that we'll get any of them? See, I, Well, Jones and Ngannou, when I started hearing people say March 4th, that's seven weeks away, you know? I mean, right. I'm hopeful, but I, I don't know. I don't know. See, I, I, I actually, like as you were saying those, I think all of those are possibilities for sure. I, I just feel like the weight class, like the size difference between Valentina Shevchenko and Amina Nunes at this point is just, it just seems like a lot. It just seems like a lot because Valentina, is, she's she's so lean. And, and she, at one point, you know, when I was breaking down Valentina's fights and going back and seeing her at 135, the difference in her body is, it's, it's just she looks like a totally different person. It just seems unrealistic that someone who could fight at 145 would still and and be competitive with someone as big and strong as Cyborg and do what she did to someone like Cyborg. Yeah. To fight Valentina at this point seems a little bit unrealistic. It, and maybe it is. Valentina's a gangster. Who knows? But um, I think all of those are pretty likely. I really like the Zhang Weili-Valentina fight. I think that that's probably the most intriguing one. That's the one that I feel like I'm not sure what happens. Like the John Jones Francis and Gunner fight, I've been unequivocal in my breakdown of that fight. I think John Jones cruises to a decision without a mark on his face. Uh, oh, it's Fran- shit. Why Francis is it shit? I, I mean, if you're a smart guy, which John is, he 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 makes really good decisions. He 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 manages risk to reward very very well. As he's getting older, I think in his last couple of fights, we've seen him manage. I, I guess heavier on the no risk taking side um which is not a knock he's it's a smart it's a smart move but i just don't see him taking a lot of risks in a fight with francis whether it's pushing him up against the fence and trying to wear him out just shooting takedowns and and getting into firefights with francis and gano is just it's just not always a great idea it just it seems like the smart play is to be long and elusive and and stick and move and stay on the outside and and just pace him uh and wear him out and and get your decision win i don't think john jones has the power to hurt francis um, so I, I just think I, I believe that I know how that's going to go. Uh, and I feel the same in the, the Hamzat Chemayev Colby Covington fight. I, I think it's just a, a, a grappling, wrestling, grindy, super ugly fight. I'm not a hundred percent who wins that, but, uh, I think Colby Covington has a much better chance than I think a lot of the world would give him. Can I just dive in there? And I'm not trying to argue with you, but it's a conversation. It's a debate. It's a- oh, let's fucking argue. Come on. Well, 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 well we fucking will, Anthony Smith. Um, John Jones, right? I know I'm not your favorite person, right? But he was decimating, destroying, obliterating all of his opposition. And then he fell into this kind of coasting gear, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, towards the end, and people were, there's theories, Anthony, this isn't directed at you. People saying, you know, he's fighting to the level of his competition. And people were making excuses for him. Right? right, but, the, re- but right. the reality is there was a shift in his uh, not a shift in his ability, but it just didn't look as impressive. It looked like the game caught him up. But to play devil's avocado, it's a stupid thing we say on this show, John, huh. instead of devil's advocate. Um, you could make a comparison to one George Saint Pierre. George Saint Pierre was when he came on the scene initially, you know, making short work of people, super aggressive, getting submissions and head kick knockouts, et cetera, et cetera. But then with the pressures of the ch- being the champ, pressures of the lifestyle, making those massive, massive paydays, life-changing money every time they fight, it kind of affected his performance and he started to play safe. Uh, then he stepped away from the sport. 
came back four years later and fucking beat the shit out of me and choked me out unconscious in Madison Square Garden. Do you not think there's a, a, a possibility that Jones comes back reinvigorated, charged up, missing the octagon, you know, and, and just ready to wreck shop, John? Yeah, no, I certainly think that you could see a tremendous version of John, and a lot of people felt like this was an eventuality that he was going to move up to heavyweight. I think the George St. Pierre comparison is absolutely an apt one because, you know, George was roundly criticized for all of the title defenses that were decisions, even though they were 50 to 43, some of them, right? John Jones has double-digit decision wins in the UFC, right? So that trend is absolutely, I don't know if it's a shift, but it absolutely has happened. But I do believe this is the greatest mixed martial arts athlete skill for skill that I have ever seen. And his mind might be his greatest asset. So I do think that he's going to come back and present a really good version of himself. He still might get knocked out in round one. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm curious to see what the betting line will be. It's probably already out there. Obviously, there's only one of us that's been in an octagon with him, though, Anthony. What is you? We'll let you have the final say, of course. Yeah, he's... I always get so much shit for saying this, but... I'll, so I'll start it the way that I usually end it, which is where I get in trouble because no one listens to the fucking end of it. I do believe that John Jones is the greatest mixed martial arts athlete that's ever lived, and I believe that he's still that guy. I really do. Um, I, I just don't know that he can create things that he didn't have before. Like he, he's, his distance management, his range, his decision-making – um, his coachability is is probably his biggest thing. It's it's almost like you're fighting him and whoever the fuck is in his corner, yeah. because it, it like they're all game planning you and they're all individually at certain times have something to say and John reacts to it like that. So it's it's really really tough. I just don't know that. That's how I would fight Francis Ngannou if I had John Jones' tools and his abilities and his size and 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 just the things that he does so great. I'm just not sure that I would th that I would take a risk with a guy like Fran like Francis. Like you can open up with a guy like Cyril Gaon because of the way that he moves, the way that he fights, and almost everybody else in the division. I can't think of another guy that would change the way that John fought more than Francis Ngannou. Like I think maybe he does come back super reinvigorated and aggressive and mean. I just don't know that Francis Ngannou is the guy that he acts on it with. Um, that said, John Jones is a crazy motherfucker. So, it, yeah, I mean, he started his first ever title fight at 21 years old or whatever he was uh, with a flying... Was he 21? Shaman. I forgot about that. Yeah. That's insane. 20. And, his first, and his first strike was a flying knee versus Shogun who was... So, like, at the time, was a terrifying individual. So, who knows what John would do? John doesn't know what he's going to do. From one John that doesn't know what he's going to do to a John that does know. John, uh, how are you for time? Because we don't want to keep you too long. Oh, perfect, perfect. Good, good, good. Well, in that case then, the fight that you said between Zhang Weili and Valentina Shevchenko, I love that pick. I think it's absolutely phenomenal. And in fact, when we tie in this little piece of uh, news, number three, Valentina Shevchenko says she can't find a fight and questions why the entire division is so quiet. In fact, she said, I bump this fight frequently because I can't do it. Valentina, because I realized this is a problem for UFC to find the points in order for me to fight frequently. My understanding is that everyone would love to fight for the title. So what's happening with you girls? Why are you all so quiet? So essentially saying nobody's calling her out. What do you make of that? Well, we have a big fight between Lauren Murphy and Jessica Andrade that is divisionally relevant. It seems as though maybe Tyler Santos is going to fight Aaron Blanchfield. And beyond that, 
there aren't necessarily that many names that factor prominently in the equation. Certainly Manon Fuhr, who just beat Caitlin Shukagian. I don't know if they want to strike immediately right now. I think Fuhr probably needs a little bit more developmental time, maybe a UFC main event to sort of cut her teeth there. So it's not as though there's just an avalanche of contenders, and that's why I've landed on Chong Wei Lee. And as Anthony alluded to, a lot of us don't know how that fight's going to go. I mean, I certainly think Shevchenko is the bigger woman uh, and would be the betting favorite. But, you know, I think that the fan base would, with respect to Tyler Santos, who was very competitive when they fought in Singapore, and you were there, Michael, but I just think the fan base would go fucking nuts for Shevchenko and Sean Whitley. I mean, could you imagine if they did that in China? Could you imagine? Yes. And, and, and the thing is, you know, uh, Shevchenko, I kind of feel for her because... Nunes has the title as the, as the GOAT, the female GOAT, you know? But it's not really fair because it's Shevchenko that's stepping up. It's Shevchenko that's at a disadvantage every time they fight. Size matters. That's why there is weight classes. And I'm not talking trash about Nunes. I'm a huge fan. She's an incredible person and an amazing fighter. But the reality is Shevchenko is going to be the smaller person in that fight every time. And the first fight, all right, Nunes got it. Second fight was very close, and Nunes got it as well. But if they fought at a, a catchweight, 130 pounds, you never know. Maybe there might be a difference. Zhang Weili going up to 125, you're going to see the roles reversed. Shevchenko is going to be the bigger person. But Zhang Weili is not exactly a tiny strollway. You know what I mean? I would love to see that fight. And I honestly do believe that given her body of work, and given how close that second fight was with the consensus go to Amanda Nunes, like Valentina Shevchenko is certainly the current champion that's more worthy of an opportunity to become a two-division champion than Zhang Weili, who only recently got her title back. But man, I mean, you want to talk about a competitive fight that the fans would be salivating over. I got to think internally they're giving that a long bit of thought, right? right. What do you think? You would think so. Yeah, you would think so. I mean, just... There's a, I don't know, just, just with Zhang Weili, just having a lot of stuff going on right now. Like, in that division, there's a lot of rematches. There's a lot of, a lot of those girls have already fought each other. And with Valentina having a bunch of problems finding a fight, I'm not surprised that people aren't jumping at the opportunity to fight Valentina. I don't necessarily think it's, it's probably the easiest weight class to get a title shot in. Yeah. You just have to get on a little bit of a run and, you know, a, a win and a finish, you're probably good enough. So, that kind of that runs into a problem if you're a younger girl that that or younger woman that did that hasn't had a bunch of UFC fights and you rattle off two or three like you can start calling Valentina's name you might get one but no one's going to be ready for that at that you know it probably ever but but especially after two or three so I think that's some of the problem is a lot of these a lot of these women probably want a little bit more time and because she's just thrashing people so quickly they're not going to be they're not getting a lot of time I am but Manone could probably call for that fight and I would not be shocked to see her get it. And because, I think she because, said in her post-fight that she wanted a little more time, that she wanted a couple more fights because she wasn't quite there yet as far as the experience goes. Sorry, Anthony. Yeah, I thought you were done. Uh, because the thing is as well, we can't have rinse and repeat. You know what I mean? You can only sell the consumer the same fight so many times. You know what I mean? Rose and Zhang has happened twice. You know, so yeah, all right. Uh, Zhang just took the belt off Carla. She's now the champion again, you know. So what are they going to do? Throw Rose in again for the third time? You know what I mean? It doesn't really make sense. Yon Jay checks out the window. Fioro, as you say, 
I'd say you're absolutely right, John. Another main event to cut a tee to get the experience to go five rounds, and also for the buying public to get a little more familiarised with her. So I mean, I mean, it sounds like early days to be talking about super fights yeah. with Zhang Weili. She only just won the belt back in her last fight. Well, and I think that would be part of the tune you would hear from Valentina Shevchenko if she was with us here today. Like, she would say it respectfully, but sort of internally, like, fuck you, I'm going to go challenge at 35. I'm not going to take on a strawweight who comes up. Because, candidly, for Valentina Shevchenko, we can sit here right now and make an argument that she's the greatest female mixed martial arts athlete of all time. She loses to a strawweight coming up. <clears throat> you know, that's something that's going to yeah. dent her legacy a little bit. So, obviously, like, she could move up and fight Amanda and be the betting underdog with really no legacy risk or put a lot of her legacy on the line taking on a strawweight, you know? So, I don't know. I think one of those two fights make a lot of sense for Valentina. I just don't know. I think it might might end up being Tyler Santos again. We'll see. So, I, yeah, I, got, a, I got a quick question. Uh, I was talking about this just a couple weeks ago, and, and although your your job and my job are, are, are different, I think there are some, some things that overlap a little bit, and those are two fights where... I wouldn't have any problems trying to explain to the 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 average fan, I don't want to call them casuals, but the you know, your everyday, you know, consumer that there's a chance that Valentina can lose. And it, because that's what people want to hear. And and I love Caitlin Chukagan. I think she's a sweetheart. I I love personally, I love watching her fight. Maybe it's not the, you know, broadly it's not the most fan appeasing style, but I love watching her fight and I understand how hard it is to fight the way that she fights. Um but it's very difficult when I'm sitting at the desk answering questions, how can Caitlin Chukagian win this fight? And to be very honest, whether it's Caitlin Chukagian or it's Lauren Murphy or it's Jessica, I, I, I don't have an answer because in my eyes, in my opinion, in those fights at that time, none of those women had a path to victory. <clears throat> I love that Zhang Wei Li fight because I can come up just off the top of my head right now with ways to win. But do you have the same struggle when you're, helping build these fights and 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 you, you want to give this these opportunities to these other contenders and challengers and you don't want to be disrespectful but you also have to be honest yeah no good question and certainly when valentina shevchenko has defended titles against jennifer maya and tyler santos baby you hear us giving even more credit to the challenger than we probably should because those are inherently some close rounds and you're not expected that valentina shevchenko is going to be involved in close rounds but I had a hard time recently with Zhang Wei Li versus Carla Esparza. I thought the betting line was way out of whack. I thought it was going to be a very quick fight. And I say that with all due respect to Carla. I just thought stylistically, it's just the worst matchup for her in the division. And when I'm trying to outline ways that Carla can win, other than taking an unnecessary risk to try to get a finish, I didn't think she could chain takedowns. I didn't think she had the physical strength to keep Zhang Wei Li down or outgrapple her once she got the fight there. So yeah, sometimes it is a challenge. And, uh, you know, that's why you just lean into the promotional hyperbole as best you can sometimes. But sometimes there are fights that aren't necessarily uh, as billable as others. Well, that's just the way it goes. And, you know, talking of Shevchenko, she's going to be joining the show very, very soon. So all you believers out there, she wanted she wanted me to do it at 7 a.m. local time because she's in Kyrgyzstan right now. There's quite the time difference. And I was going to do it, but then something, oh, I went skiing with my son, so I had to rearrange. So oh, we got Shevchenko. Oh, well, 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 I booked a skiing trip. I said yes. And then I realized that double... Lucas would have understood. Fuck Lucas is what I'm saying. And I agree. He's a little shit. He's spoiled. 
But so we've got Shevchenko coming up. We've also got Leon Rocky Edwards on Thursday. Oh, wow. We've also got Paul Craig on Thursday as well. So little mention there. John, I, I'm very happy because I feel like now you get the recognition that you deserve, right? I've worked alongside you, and i got to say, seeing your attention to detail, seeing the care and dignity that you give this sport, seeing the just, just the, just the lengths that you go to to ensure that every single fighter from the first prelim to the main event gets the the rub that is necessary to get the attention, to get their story out. You know, you go the extra mile with that every single time. And people can see it. They can hear it. I remember when I first, one of the first times I saw you commentate, but I was in the crowd. You know, you were on your feet and you were so animated with your body because that's because you're feeling it and you're in it, you know, and, and that transfers to the screen and to the people at home. Uh, but just talk to me about your ex, your your process, if you will, because I know you go on social media a little bit and you talk about some of the things that you do. But, you know, you are leading the sport by far and you're probably one of the best play by plays in all the sports. I don't watch sports, so I don't know. But you're damn bloody good, John. Yeah. Talk to me about your process. Well, thank you, buddy. Honestly, I, I can't really respond appropriately, right? I'm blown away by the words, obviously, having the respect of you two men at the sport. And, and 11 years in, I do believe I've sort of hit my stride a little bit. But the two things that I can always control, my output, right, my work ethic, how hard I'm working, and then my energy on fight night. Now, I could flub a lot and have a bad show, but I can always control those two things. And ultimately, the number one part of my job is to try to humanize these athletes and make the fan base care about them. And yeah, I mean, sometimes I get frustrated when I'm in a back-to-back situation and Mick Maynard and Sean Shelby are giving me 30 fighters in back-to-back weeks. And how am I going to get to know 60 fighters in the span of eight days and optimally humanize all of them? You just can't do it. But, you know, obviously, Brian Stan said to me way back when, it's an open book test. You might as well show up with some damn notes. And I obviously took that to heart. I handwrite all of my own things. And I guess, you know, I, I think a lot about the families and friends of the athletes that are sitting back and watching this, right? And yeah, maybe I take the job too seriously at times when it comes to the pronunciations and certain things, right? Oh, I'm only messing with your job when I say that. Come no, on, bro. But you only get one <laughs> shot at this, right? Yeah. And candidly, I remember the late Josh Saman was very put off in the day, you know, when in his UFC debut, they called him Josh Salmon, you know, and he put out something publicly. And he said, you know, it took me my whole life to get to the UFC. All my family and friends are watching. Maybe they could fucking pronounce my name right, you know? So That's I took it seriously. And, you know, I always say, like, if they delayed the fight card five hours, like, I could make use of that time. And, Mike, you know, I mean, you're working the entire Saturday, right? When you're not running, hitting the pavement, like, you're working, you know? So um, I start with the work ethic. Obviously, I feel like there's been an evolution in terms of the on-air performance, but Obviously, your praise means a lot. And, uh, you know, working for a guy like Dana White, for all three of us, you got to earn it every show. Like, I can be fired at any time without cause. And if you don't think that after a couple bad shows, if my effort's not there, I'm fucking gone. And I take that approach to Brazil, rest assured. John, I, I mean, Michael says things a lot prettier than I do. But I, I, t- I mean, I've told you this privately several times that anytime I have a problem, I reach out. If I have a question, on how I can be better. I, John Annex, the first guy that I think about calling. Uh, if I ever have a name pronunciation, this is no bullshit. I will go back to a fight that you called of that fighter. And if I can't say it how you say it, I'll find another way. Like I'll use their nickname, I'll use their first name, whatever it is, I'll find a different way because I want to get it right. So um, what what is your 
prep look like? Like, not just, it's easy to say, you know, I, I put the work in, I, you know, I take lots of notes, but like, how much time do you, cause sometimes you'll say shit. I, I put a lot of work in, I prep a lot. I watch a lot of film. I, I, I study these guys, I look at their social medias, like, and a lot of times there's just not a lot there as far as being an analyst. I think at the cage, you can use a lot of that stuff, but, um, there's a lot of times where you'll say shit. I'm like, how, how did he know that? Like, I don't understand sometimes. Like I, it just happened a couple weeks ago where I think maybe it was Mike had mentioned someone's coach and you had the, it was like the longest name I'd ever heard. And you had it like on the top of your, right off the top of your head. So John's so good at that. Cause I do struggle with the coaches in the cornerman sometimes, you know? Yeah. It was yeah, so fast. Sorry, he didn't even have to look at there was no notes involved it like he had it on the tip of his tongue already so like what is that in like specifically that process like do you spend a certain amount of time per fighter like how does that work and in our defense real quick we john hasn't been cracked around the head a million times (laughs) and i also have had sort of 11 years to work on how i prepare for the job even when i'm analyzed and assessed by the ufc because i'm a full-time employee right so i go through like the whole review process at the end of the year it doesn't affect my salary for the following year but even when i sit down with my bosses i'm constantly trying to make my preparation process more efficient right especially when you're dealing with 30 athletes but you know, little video interviews, little articles. I save my notes so maybe I can pick up something that was said several years ago and then run it back a few fights later. But a lot of it is just time and just scouring the internet. And Michael and I sometimes will both be light on a guy and we'll connect during the fight week and try to sort of bridge that gap a little bit. Uh, But at the end of the day, like I will wake up on fight day and if I'm light on Sung Woo Choi, by the time I go to the arena, I'm no longer light on Sung Woo Choi. But you're right, Anthony, for a lot of these men and women, there isn't a ton out there. And maybe they don't do a media day or you didn't contact the athlete and you have to go to their social media and maybe you get a local article that you have to interpret. But, uh, you know, the last thing I want to do is not have a lot of bullets on these athletes. Like, their family's watching. I, I want to try to tell their story as best I can. This is the soundtrack of their professional lives, and uh, and it's our job to provide it. Well, well, as you say, you know, soundtrack to their professional life. I mean, for a lot of these people, if they're making their debut, they're fighting on TV. For a lot of people, that's a big, big deal. And you can remember, Anthony, your first time. I remember my first time, you know. And as you say, John, you're absolutely right in terms of Josh Sam- Salmon. Salmon? Saman, Saman, Jesus Christ! Yeah, yeah, but but that's a perfect example. Yeah. Now I'm gonna say this, John. You're an old school guy because you talk about your notes, ladies and gentlemen. You want to see John's notes? They're always on like a blue card, right? They're always blue or white. We try to go blue or red. Sometimes those are uh, hard to come by. Blue and red for the corners. The 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 right, the smallest writing known to man, and there is a lot on those cards. Now, this is all my notes on every fire. And you write, you cheat them. Like, you write it down. You don't, I type them all on my phone. So why do you write them? Is that because it goes in your head more? Because I have heard that theory. That's exactly what it is. And there are a lot of people in the fight game that journal regularly. I do so much handwriting for my professional life that in terms of my own mental health, like I can't be bothered with a journal to collect my thoughts, right? But yes, absolutely. Like I don't have the greatest memory in the world, Michael. You know that to be true. And so a lot of it for me is handwriting it. And so then some things get committed to memory. Like Anthony Smith, 
fought Antonio Braganetto at his UFC debut, and he always wonders why I remember that. It's yeah. because I wrote it down on his fighter card so many times that it's just something that stuck with me for whatever reason because I probably wrote down nine times, made his UFC debut against this dude, and it sticks. But, yeah, bro, I mean, there are times where I think about digitizing my system and I think about how antiquated it is and how much time I would save myself if these things were typed out, but um, the system I don't think is broken, so we're going to stick yeah, it. No, it works. It works. All right, let's talk about Shopify. Listen, if you're an entrepreneur, if you have a business, if you have something that you sell, you want to be online, okay? You got to take it to the the global audience, which is available to you by the power of the internet. But doing so can sound complicated, time-consuming, stressful, expensive. Not with Shopify. Shopify simplifies it all very, very quickly. Makes it super easy and very, very affordable, especially with this incredible offer that I'm going to tell you about in a second. You can customize your online store to your style. You can connect with new customers to drive growth and even maintain the relationships that will keep them coming back no matter how big you are able to grow. Every minute, new sellers from around the world are revolutionizing their businesses and making their first sales with Shopify. Once you start selling, Shopify makes getting paid very simple because it accepts all major payments. In fact, it says every type of payment, every type. Uh, Shopify grows with your business, so no matter how far or all or how big you grow, thanks to an endless list of integrations and third-party apps, anything you can think of from on-demand printing to accounting to chatbots, everything you need to revolutionize your business, Okay. Do you want marketing made simple? Shopify removes the guesswork with built-in tools that help you create, execute, and analyze your online marketing campaigns. So, uh, you know, it all sounds very uh, complicated there. Or maybe that doesn't. Maybe I'm just a moron, you know. But some of the stuff that you said there, uh, you know, maybe you don't follow it. But listen, here's the deal. If you do have a business or you're selling something and Shopify makes it super easy, super affordable, not complicated or time-consuming. It does all the heavy lifting. Thanks to a 24-7 help and extensive business course library, Shopify is also there to support your success every single step of the way. So what are you waiting for? It's time to get online. It's time to get online, but you again, again, sounds expensive, right? No. You can sign up for $1 per month for a trial period at shopify.com slash believe, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com s-h-o-p-i-f-y shopify.com slash believe to take your business to the next level today sign up for one dollar a month for one dollar what is one dollar it's nothing right you probably bought a coffee from starbucks or wherever four five six bucks i don't go starbucks whatever it costs okay one dollar you can have a little experiment and take your store your business online there's a lot of people out there wherever you're at right now you are not reaching them Get online, do it easy, do it cheaply, and make yourself more money by spending $1. Go to shopify.com slash believe to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash believe. How hard is the, uh, sorry, I'm no, 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 jumping around. No, 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 I'm I, on as well. Well, I, I'm jumping around a little bit because it just popped in my head. How hard is the the video game stuff? Because I've I seen you That's do a video. That's what right now. Yeah, like I, I seen you do a video, maybe it was with DC or something like that, and you guys kind of had to like, uh, you just like, just throw out some random shit. Like it wasn't scripted. Like you just had to talk as if it was a fight. How hard is that? 
It seems impossible. It's one of the hardest things I've done in broadcasting. You know, for UFC, EA Sports UFC 3, the first game I did, I did 92 hours of solo voiceover work. I didn't do anything with Joe Rogan at that point. Yeah, 92 hours. Dude, it was brutal. And some of it was super high intensity. Like, I hadn't called Conor McGregor versus Jose Aldo. So they had me call that fight four times. I mean, can you imagine? Four times the damage that did to my voice calling that fight, even though it only lasted 13 seconds. You know, I have to put myself there. And I'm giving them vein popping calls of Connor knocking out Jose Aldo. So, yeah, I mean, it's nicer now doing it with Daniel obviously being in studio together, and that changes things a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of sort of mundane details that need to be in the game. There's a lot of nuances, a lot of intricate things. And to your point, a lot of ad lib stuff, right? Where it's just fighter A, fighter B, they're both guys. Neither one is in the UFC necessarily, just maybe a player at home has created a fighter. So, you know, I think I've gotten a little bit better over the years, but I am no video game voicing expert. That for sure. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds pretty good. And it's what you do for a living, John. So, you know, but of course, you got to be humble. Uh, Harrington. So we'll, we'll allow Harrington to throw a subject at us. But, Anthony, do you look at the notes? I mean, in terms of doing research and all the rest of it, be honest. Just be honest. Because I. Most of the time, no. Because a lot of people say, because I've seen the comments go, look at Bisping. He's not even listening. It's like, because I'm driving the fucking show. Do you know what I mean? I'm looking at the next topic and see what we're doing. I'm looking at stuff that kind of ties in that can be a segue and stuff like that. Right. So so you don't even look at the notes. No, because it just shows up to our podcast. It's it's more fun now. Really? Yeah, exactly. It's the first, like, when I'm hearing this shit, it's the first time I'm hearing it. Yeah. That's my genuine reaction. Not a fun for you, bro. I'm fucking working my ass up. No wonder I've got a broken back. Uh... (laughs) So you haven't seen any of these topics because I was going to say I'll allow you to choose one. But Harrington, tell us about what's going on with Derek Lewis or what is going on with Derek Lewis or why is he in the notes? Uh, so Terrence McKinney found him, uh, you know, just running out on the streets in Houston. And he is looking like he is ready to compete in your old division, Michael. Derek Lewis has slimmed down, uh, you know, following two losses ahead of the Sergey Spivak fight here in February. Um, I also wanted to bring up, just announced, uh, I don't know if this, this probably affects two people on this call, that fight is going to take place on the original uh, South Korea broadcast time. So the main card isn't going to start until 1 a.m. Eastern. Uh, what do you guys think about that? Do you think that affects the fighters at all? Well, bollocks to the fighters, it affects me because the, that fight's on February the 4th. On February the 5th, which is my daughter's birthday, I fly to Australia, Right. And the main card doesn't start until 1 a.m. Eastern, but still, it's going to be a late one. It's going to be a late one. But uh, regardless, oh, you you were going to say something, John? Well, I was just going to say for the European fans and the international viewers, they don't want to hear any fan in North America ever complain about a start time for a UFC main card. But I can never remember us doing a show in Vegas where the main card started that late, right? 10 a.m. Are you calling that? No, because I'm going to head to Perth with you. But I'm going to be with Fitzgerald then. We couldn't one in the morning. I ain't got patience for him. <laughs> that, that, and I will say for me, like I remember obviously times in my career being in Brazil when Lyoto Machida's making the walk at like 3.30 a.m. local time. And by the way, this pay-per-view, Anthony, as you know, is going to be pretty late as well. Uh, but there's just no way at 3 a.m. Eastern time when Derek Lewis makes the walk that I'm going to be awake. I just can't do it. No, That's no. the hard part. It is because you've got to have that energy. Uh, Derek Lewis, though, looking like he's slimming down. 
you know, looking like he's taking things seriously because, you know, he always kind of, I, I think he does take things seriously because this is a big opportunity to make a lot of money and that's why we all do, right? To provide for our family. As husbands and fathers, we're providers. That's what we're trying to do. You know, he plays it down. I remember famously a long time ago, he said to me that he trains like 30 minutes a day. And I I followed up with him at Fox Sports and I asked him, I said, was that true? Were you just saying it on camera to be funny? He said, no, seriously, 30 minutes a day. And I was, I, my mind was blown. But obviously, as we know, tied to Avasa in Houston, Cyril Garn in Houston. There was another one in Houston. Was it Pavlovich? Was that in Houston as well? Or Texas at least? Uh, I believe Pavlovich it was Texas. Was in Dallas. Dallas. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Derek Lewis, everybody loves the guy. Absolutely hilarious, formidable f opponent, the most knockouts in the history of the company. But uh, yeah, what are your general feelings on that, John? Well, I mean, he was a pretty big underdog going into that Sergei Spivak fight, and obviously that was not the first time within 24 hours of a fight that Derek Lewis hasn't been able to compete. I mean, certainly I think there has been an uptick in terms of the training commitment, in terms of the hours and the overall approach. And even though he obviously makes a ton of money to show, right? I mean, his bank account has got to be pretty fat right now. Uh, but he wants to still be divisionally relevant. And Sergey Spivak is very much that. So I think it's going to take, honestly, like one of the better training camps of his career to beat the oncoming polar bear. And I think, you know, that's a memo that Derek Lewis obviously has gotten if the road work is any indication. So, Yeah, you know, he's he's going to need one of the better performances of his of his career. Especially because Spivak is, he's like a smaller heavyweight, but he moves really well. He's fast. He's got power in his hand. He does it all very, very well. Um, and you're right. It's not the first time that he's, actually, I ended up at the main event the day of a fight uh, versus Devin Clark. Devin Clark, I believe. Uh, because Derek Lewis was supposed to fight Curtis Blades. And I, well, and I believe Curtis Blades was actually the one who got sick. I think he uh, ended up having COVID, I believe. But Man, I'm such a big Derek Lewis fan. I, I think I'm more of a fan of Derek Lewis the person than so much the fighter. He's, he he has some nuances and some some tricky things that he does. But kind of what you see when he fights is kind of what you get. Um, I know that he's had the recent gym change or 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 coach change or whatever. Um, so I was really interested to see kind of what version of Derek Lewis we get. I don't know what it's going to take to keep Derek Lewis committed to this kind of a training system every single fight though because it, it almost seems like every time he loses or takes a, a couple losses you see a new version of Derek Lewis for a little while and then that maybe that that gets a little stagnant and it's almost like he needs I I understand it because I think it happens to me sometimes I get a little bit comfortable you you win three four fights in a row and you start I don't want to say you're, you're believing your own bullshit but I I think you just get a little comfortable and and a couple losses make you feel very uncomfortable. And it's easy to make those changes coming off a loss. So I'm I'm really excited to see, I guess, what version of himself he brings. I'm not necessarily sure a smaller a too small I well I I don't I don't want him to get too small. Because the thing that makes Derek Lewis Derek Lewis is just his absolute power and his and one is his mobility for his size. I don't think the huge belly that we've seen on him, you know, at times where it's clear he's not, you know, he's not even rushing to the fridge, um, it is probably the most positive thing. But I, I don't want, I wouldn't like to see him get too small either. No, that makes no. Sense. I, and to be quite frank, you know, and I'll say this as respectfully as I can, and I guarantee that there is a way more respectful way I could say it in everything I say. But I don't think necessarily pounding the pavement 
and working on his cardio and getting in the best physical shape possible is the answer to his problems. You know, listen, we love Derek Lewis. He's got such a fan-pleasing style, okay? He's a heavyweight. We all know a heavyweight. One punch, it's a cliche, but it is true with those four-ounce gloves on. And he plays Russian roulette almost every time because he will go out there and he'll stand and bang. And it's who's going to connect first, you know? And he was connecting with Taito Avasa, but Taito Avasa got that massive elbow. And Sergei Pavlovich, he went forward, you know, and was, again, playing that game. You go like, you play that with Sergei Pavlovich, that's a dangerous game to play, you know? So I think the point I'm making is I don't necessarily think that it's getting the gas tank better that he needs. I think it's just trying to add some other wrinkles to the game, you know, maybe trying to get a takedown, maybe defending the wrestling, or whatever it may be. There's a lot of other wrinkles and facets to mixed martial arts to just knocking people out, which, as we know, he's the world leader in, he's the best at, and he can fucking knock anyone out if he connects. So it's almost a double-edged sword because you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, because it's like, well, why wouldn't I use that? Because I'd knock people out. But the reality is, at heavyweight, you're going to walk onto things as well. If, if I ever seen Derek Lewis slip and rip a counter, I'd probably fall out of my chair. <laughs> he just take he just that I and that's why I love the heavyweight division. It's my favorite division uh in MMA. It, it's just I love why especially when it's live. And and even more especially when it's live at the apex. I know that I've seen a, a lot of fans and a lot of people get so frustrated because we're having so many fights still at the apex. And and I get it because there's nothing like a live UFC event with sold out fans and a a, a rowdy crowd and and people are going insane. But there is something to be said for sitting next to you guys, uh, listening to you guys call the fight to my left live and having two 270-pound men in that tiny-ass cage in the apex just throwing absolute bombs. I can't I can't think of a place I'd rather be. John, let, let, let me ask you this on that note, because I was talking about this recently, because, you know, when you see knockouts, when you watch it on TV, that's one thing. But when you're as close to the action as we are, it's, it almost seems, it does. I mean, when I see people lose consciousness, I'm like, it blows my mind. That's why we're always out of our chairs. That's why, you know, they get these crazy shots of UDC and Rogan or whoever's commentating because it's amplified because it's sometimes six feet away from us. You know, you can almost see the soul leaving their body. What is one that stands out to you throughout your 11 years with the company? If you could pick one, two, or even three, that stand out to you? Oh, it's, I mean, it's one. It was Detroit, Michigan. Francis Ngannou knocked out Alistair Overeem. I thought Overeem was deceased. I don't even know that I can come up with second knockout, honestly. You know, I did think he was going to come back from it. I mean, it looked like his, like, neck broke. I mean, like, his head just went, boom, you know? And that type of force, and it wasn't even full throttle. In the follow-up. Yeah. Yeah, so that was the scariest one uh, for me, to be sure. Uh, yeah. It was a two-man booth, me and Joe. I'll never forget it. It was just eerie. Maybe the last two-man booth I've worked with Joe, but it was uh, that was just ferocious. I mean, I mean, John, you're not a fighter, but still, you're a man. I think you should all appreciate just how terrifying Francis Ngannou is. You know, I always say we were talking about it a while ago. There's, if there's one per- the last person I want on planet Earth to walk into a bar, shit-faced drunk, and just starting a fight with everybody is Francis Ngannou. If that's happening, I'm out the fire exit. I don't care. I'm like, no way. I don't want any of this shit. Not a chance. 
And I've been around a lot of professional athletes, football players. There is a uniqueness to this Francis Ngannou package. And people talk about Brock Lesnar's his hand size. Lesnar's hands were big, like top to bottom. Ngannou shakes my hand, it like touches my elf. It's a totally <laughs> different ballgame. Are you guys familiar with the situation, what's going on with uh, Benil Dariush and Dustin Poirier? There's a little bit of beef going on. Well, just for the believers, anyone that doesn't, uh, isn't aware, should I say, uh, Harrington, just set the stage for everyone and then uh, we'll get into it. Okay. Uh, so Benil Dariush uh, said in an interview uh, that he thinks that if somebody like Poirier is just waiting around for names, um, then it's time for him to get out of the game, right? Like there's not a lot of guys like Michael Chandler left in the division, and if that's what he's waiting for and he won't fight these up-and-coming monsters, maybe it's time to hang it up. Uh, Dustin Poirier responded that he appreciates the advice and told him that he will give him a code for free shipping on any of his hot sauce. Huh. Of course he did. What do you think, John? Think, right? Well, Dustin Poirier is a first ballot Hall of Famer for me. I don't think he needs an undisputed UFC lightweight championship to validate his greatness, but I think if I look at it from Dustin's perspective... There's just not a whole lot to be gained from a win over Bedell to R.U. Certainly, Benny has the long winning streak, and the avid fans are acutely aware of how big a win over Benil Daryush would be for Dustin. And maybe it would lay the foundation for a title shot, but I don't think Dustin sees it that way. He doesn't see Benil Daryush as the path to an undisputed championship opportunity, and I think he just sees more interesting fights out there at this stage of his career. But I do think Daryush is wise to sort of you know, not create beef, but at least engage a little bit. Because for Benil, you're not getting the fights when you disengage. So you might as well, you know, get after it a little bit publicly. And here we are on Believe You Me talking about it. So he's doing something right. Well, first of all, I would love a free uh, shipping code. That'd be oh. fantastic. So Dustin Poirier, if you're listening, uh, send me some of that. I've never tried the hot sauce. Is it good? It's, it's good. It's really good. I like it a lot. Um but I think two things can be true at the same time. Uh, and I don't always think that maybe we we allow that to happen. But I almost agree with Benil Dariush. If, you're, if, I, if I was to put myself in his seat, um, I understand his frustration. I understand the it's, it's not just this situation. It's years of frustration probably building up. But I also understand Dustin Poirier's situation he's in as well. So I, I, I guess I agree with both guys. Uh, Benil Darius, it's just, it, he might be the most disrespected fighter uh, out there. It, and it's some of it is to his credit, some of it is to his fault. It, some of it is because he is so goddamn dangerous. He's so willing to engage on his feet because he's so confident in his ground game. If that dude gets you on the ground, it is a goddamn problem for anybody in the division. And I don't care what their name is. But he's not crazy popular. He doesn't move the needle. And, and that is, at this point, purposeful. Uh, he 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 could have he could have changed that a long time ago without changing who he was. Uh, I was never like a a loud shit talker. I've got into it with people before, obviously, but those were very organic. And I, and I found a way to be relatable to to whatever group of people found themselves found themselves wanting to root for me or whatever. But I, I had to work at it because I'm not a super interesting guy normally. I'm just a idiot from I know, Nebraska. I, I, I gotta, I gotta do a podcast with this guy. I know, I'm yeah. not. I, I'm just a regular idiot from Nebraska. So Benil's got to figure out what that thing is, and and I think this is a good step in the right direction for sure because he got Dustin to reply. Um, and if I'm Dustin, I I understand the 
especially where I'm at in my career, I haven't accomplished even half of what Dustin Poirier has, and, and I would never put myself in the same realm as him. But as far as the motivation factor goes, I understand that. You know, like Ryan Spann, I was very indifferent to until he created something. I didn't create it, he, but he kind of lit that fire a little bit. Leading up to that fight, it's hard to get motivated for some, for some people when you've been, I've been doing this 17 years. Dustin's probably been doing it as long or longer. So I understand wanting someone that makes you excited to get out of bed. Someone that gets a little bit scary, like Michael Chandler. I think they had that interaction in the octagon where he said, I, I had, a, you know, he was afraid because Michael Chandler's dangerous. He's got a big name. No one wants to get embarrassed. It, it, there's something exciting there. And I, I can't fault Dustin Poirier for being at this point in his career, wanting something exciting because I, I don't know what he gets out of the Benil Dariush fight. Do, does he give a shit about the undisputed title? The, there was a point there where I wasn't sure that he did. The, 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 the reality is though, it's not Dustin Poirier's obligation or concern what's going on with Benil's career, you know? He, he can't care about everyone else in the organization. You're caring about New Metal Uno, yourself, simple as that. This isn't a team sport, so he doesn't give a fuck about Benil Dariush. With respect, I feel for Benil because he's kind of in the same pattern as Leon Edwards used to be, Arnold Aaron Allen currently, and other fighters that have got this a master, huge long win streak, clearly highly competent, one of the best in the world, but... As you said, Anthony, there's a little piece missing in terms of this modern day era, call it the Conor McGregor era, whatever you want to call it, the entertainment era. Uh, but eventually, eventually the cream rises to the top. Look at Leon Edwards. He is now the champion. So I think he's just got to continue doing that. I understand this frustration because Dustin Poirier, it does seem like they're on a roundabout. Dustin Poirier, Justin Gagey, Charles Oliveira, they're all just fighting each other, going round and round in circles. And it's even worse for him now. That's good business, though. It's, it's great business. <laughs> You're one of those guys. Them. Great business. And they're amazing fights. Look at Poirier and Chandler. Look at Gagey. And look, look at any one of them. You match them up either way. It's 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 ballistic. Um, but the problem is for uh, Benil as well, is that Islam is fighting Volkanovski, right? Charles Oliveira, and he's probably the favorite going into that matchup. Charles Oliveira may potentially get that next shot. After that, it's going to be Poirier or Gagey unless they go and fire Benil. That's a fight they can lose because Benil is that good. So whilst I'm not saying that Poirier or Gagey are ducking him because they would never do that, they are honourable men and they believe in themselves, it's also not a bad idea as a manager to sidestep that one a little bit. And to use his style is not meat and potatoes, right? And I'm not suggesting that any fighter that has ever been pegged as a championship backup is meat and potatoes, right? But Vicente Luque, right? You know, guy, in terms of preparing for Vicente, largely you pretty much know what you're going to get. Obviously, he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belt, but pretty basic as far as his jiu-jitsu goes. Now, when Vicente got his opportunity as a backup, it was on short notice. He weighed in like 12 pounds over, right? But Benil Daryush could find himself you know, appealing to the promotion and, and winning some brownie points by offering himself up as a backup. But, like, I don't know if you're getting Islam Makashev to say, all right, I'll fight Volkanovsky and Daryush as a backup, you know? But I do think that that could be an opportunity that presents itself. I just, yeah, I just don't know that he's going to get Poirier or Gaethje to sign on the dotted line. But no, I don't, I don't suspect that, that unless they're forced to. And I, and I don't see a situation. I, I just don't, I don't know what situation that would be in. This again, I'm bouncing around a little bit. If 
we talked about Arnold Allen and Leon Edwards and, and Darius kind of in the same vein. As a person whose job is essentially to speak about them and, and, and you're searching for something to talk about and you're, you, you see the guys that do it well, you see the guys that don't do it well, guys or girls, whatever. Um, if you were to give them some advice, like, because you, you've covered a lot of these guys' yeah. fights several times, like Leon, Arnold, and Benil. Like, I guess, what would, what would you say to them? If they were to say, John Anik, having a tough time connecting with fans, or, or, or I don't even want to say be interesting, but just connecting with the public and finding a, a reason to make people give a fuck about me, what would that be? And maybe it's a broad advice, I don't know. Well, it's hard to be fake or to not be yourself. And I do right. think it's a tremendous challenge for guys like Colby Covington and Henry Cejudo who have sort of created this persona to maintain that, right? Like even for Cejudo, who is not inherently quite as cringy as the guy he presents to the world, like he has to maintain that. And I think that's why when you look at the most successful sort of trash talkers or microphone guys in UFC history, right? Conor McGregor, Michael Bisping, Shale Sonnet, even Bryce Mitchell, right? Because they're not pre-writing what they're saying. I mean, Shale to some degree did, right? But those guys just have great comedic timing. They have the gift of gab. They have good articulation skills, and they're just being themselves, right? Bryce Mitchell can get up at a press conference and just by nature being himself can resonate with a crowd. So my first advice would always be stay true to who you are. And if that's not going to resonate with the fan base, maybe you make some adjustments. And the second thing would always be to have some name on the tip of your tongue because people obviously don't maximize that post-fight call-out and uh, Joe Silva would always tell me when I would go in there, try to do my job for me. So, you know, be bullish on the microphone even if it's not who you are. You've got to be. How how angry do you guys get when people are asking for, this is for both of you guys, I guess, because I've heard John say this before, but I don't think I've ever asked Michael this. How angry do you guys get listening to people beg for bonuses? Uh, <laughs> listen, no, 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 hold, hold on. We've got to be careful here because... I, I did it one time. I did it one yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, worked, yeah. And then I heard John Annick say that it drove him crazy and I've never done this. Huh. Well, yeah. Well, you. Go, go, go on, John. Go. I was just going to say, Michael, historically, I have noticed that when guys ask for the bonus, oftentimes they don't get it. Like, you let the, the performance speak for itself. Now, obviously, Sergey Pavlovich, I think, recently called for it and got it. He was not going to be denied that night. But generally speaking, if memory serves, like it's not it's not endearing you to the guys in the back when you go bonus begging. It doesn't reflect well on the promotion necessarily, right? So let the performance do the talking, I feel like is the best. My pet hate when I go in and speak to the fighters is um, you know, sometimes obviously John, as you know, and Anthony, but I think a lot of people at home when they're watching, they forget this. We're on a strict TV schedule. We've got to get to adverts and all the rest of it. We've got to get to a certain number of fights that have left. Perhaps some fights have gone long or whatever it is, right? And they say, okay, two questions, tops, that's it. Or the, sometimes, John, they might even say one question. We have an earpiece on. They are, we're, we're not making on, on the flat decisions. We're not deciding if we're going to do a five-minute interview or a one-minute interview. We're being dictated to, and it's our job to follow those rules because there's a strict schedule of TV networks all over the world. And a lot of people give me shit, and a lot of the time, they say a few things and then they try and grab the microphone. You know what I mean? And, and, like, and I'm like, I've, I've been told I can't. And then sometimes they, 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 they almost rip it out of your hand so you do it and then you get a little nag in your ear and people are like, bro. And then I get people in my DMs saying, what the fuck, Bisbee? 
why can't you just let that guy have his moment? And I'm like, bro, I am not trying to take away a moment from anybody. I'm trying to do my job, but talk to me about any frustrations you've had, John. Well, yeah, no, Craig Borsari, who was the guy who hired me back in 2011, he said, whatever you do, don't give up the microphone because you're essentially giving up control of the broadcast. The only time I have given it up was Mark Munoz when he retired in the Philippines. I felt like I could trust Mark to have the mic and then actually pass it back. But you're right. Those moments oftentimes are chaotic, and sometimes maybe we're going from ESPN2 to ESPN. And I know you have a lot of fighters who listen to the show, and I would just say to the fighters, it's never a reflection upon you if you don't get an interview. But I can tell you, if we have 15 fights and you're the featured prelim and you don't get a finish— we're going to pay-per-view and you're probably not getting an interview. So sometimes that's just the nature of the beast. But you're right, Michael. Like, I'm, when they're saying it's one question, it's like, man, how am I going to do this? But figure out a way. That's yeah. your job. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, Harrington, come on here, please, sir. And we'll let John, seeing as John has been so great uh, with your time. Thank you, John. We appreciate it. Sure. I'm sure everybody else does. Eight, nine, and ten. Just quickly... Throw them at him, you know, concisely, Harrington. Don't read them out. Don't go into fucking full detail. But just throw them at John, and, and he can choose the subject. And Anthony, he doesn't even know what it is because we've just... Yeah, he never yeah, does me research. Too. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, so number eight. Jose Aldo uh, finds himself in a bit of uh, hot water politically, uh, hosting, uh, apparently, the former president of Brazil, Bolsonaro, in his Orlando home, uh, while also dealing with possible uh, fallout from COVID-19 relief accepted during the pandemic. Uh, number nine, uh, Leron Murphy versus uh, Nathaniel Wood is set for UFC 286, pitting two Englishmen against each other on the London card. And number 10, uh, Jake Paul says he's tried everything to get a boxing match with Tommy Fury. Tommy Fury responded, saying that if he'll take the fight next month, he will do it, and all proceeds will go to charity. All right, a lot of good nuggets. I love that fight between Nathaniel Wood and Lerone Murphy. People just Banger. don't know how good Murphy is because his career has been perpetually interrupted by circumstance and injury. I absolutely love that fight. The Jose Aldo thing is pretty interesting. Now, his wife has come out and said... You know, it's the leftists in the country that are now coming after us for supporting the right wing. Uh, I never took any money that I shouldn't have taken during COVID. But obviously, this is a very interesting circumstance that not just Jose Aldo is having to deal with, but I think some of the Gracie family as well. And uh, obviously, it comes, you know, 10 days before I'm about to head to Rio. So an interesting climate in that nation right now, to be sure. And seemingly the Aldo family sort of rabbit in the middle of all of it. I, did, I, I forgot about that. You're actually going there because that place is... Well, they had an yeah. insurrection. Was it yesterday? Yeah. Yesterday. It's in Brasilia, right? So Rio, it's almost like New York to Chicago in terms of the separation. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I guess I'm sure the UFC will probably be monitoring things as we get close yeah. to the yeah. industry. Obviously, you're one half of the amazing Anik and Florian podcast and find that where they get your podcast and on YouTube, of course. Do you go over and talk about the Jake Paul stuff? Because this is a circus, right? It's a circus, let's be honest. It's a shit show. Uh, and God bless him. You know, he's, he's making money, he's doing his thing, you know, and, and he's making the most out of his name and his brand. And you can't fault the guy for that. You know, this PFL stuff, you know, they're going to bring in the Super League and they're going to get 50% of the revenue. And now all this stuff with Tommy Fury and whatnot. I mean... How much do you pay attention to all this kind of thing, John? Oh, the Tommy Fury stuff is so tiring. I mean, that stuff to me is just in one ear and out the other. And candidly, I didn't really talk much about Jake Paul on our show when it came to the boxing stuff until he fought Anderson Silva. 
And then I think there was an uptick, at least as far as our coverage was concerned. But now that he's in MMA, and of course my podcast partner, Kenny Florian, is the lead analyst for the PFL, oh, he yeah. led the show with it this week. And candidly, and my man Kenny's probably, I thought Kenny would maybe be even more excited than he was, right? Because I thought that that promotional announcement by Jake Paul was really well done. I didn't love some of the, the Dana Venom necessarily at the end, but promotionally, I thought it was really fucking well done. And I do believe that Jake Paul has played his cards pretty damn well. And I do believe he's the real article in terms of being genuine in his desire to help fighters. So I don't see a whole lot of downside. Now, there are a lot of unknowns. Who's the opponent going to be? How much can these guys really draw on pay-per-view? A lot remains to be seen. But if I was Kenny Florian, lead analyst for the PFL, I'd be fucking stoked. God, I fucking hate Jake Paul. Nah! <laughs> I, I, tr uh, I try to look at it. We talked about this a little bit last week, but I, I try to look at it for what it is and stop, I guess, expecting that this is like a real thing. And I just try to look at it like this is an entertainment thing. This is a freak show. Just enjoy it like it's any other ridiculous freak show that you whether it's a thriller or event like i have no problem enjoying the shit out of that and every goddamn slap fighting organization on planet earth i've probably watched so you know what i just i just enjoy it for what it is but i do i do have my questions on how much he actually cares about helping fighters same i i don't dig into it too much um you know at one point in time ariel spent an hour trying to convince me that you know, Jake Paul was the real deal. And, and, and now I think some of that tune has changed, but I think that's the biggest question for me. Like, I do feel like he gives lots of opportunities to people that already have money or people that should already have money, whether it's, uh, Ben Ashkren, Ben pretends to be just the, the, you know, the broke Homer or somewhere in Wisconsin, but <laughs> Ben's doing just fine with his life. Tyron Woodley had plenty of title fight and title defenses. He should be doing fine. If he's not, that's his fault. Um, Anderson Silva, you know, just, you know, it was like the Brazilian Wesley Snipes, just rich as shit. That's what I tell everybody. Um, Is it Brazilian Muhammad Ali? Who we could have gone for? Or... No. Why, no, why no, Wesley, Wesley Snipes? Because Wesley, like, like the Blade version of Wesley Snipes, just dangerous as fuck. Right. So not the problem. Just at. got out of prison, and the IRS are taking all of his money back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the no, the Blade one. <laughs> but I do. I am excited to see what Jake the Paul table. brings to the table in a in an MMA fight. It's a step in the right direction of getting me to shut up about it for sure. I said that I said that a bunch of times though. Well, we told like well, if he does this, I'll shut up, and then he does it, and I don't. So I, yeah, I have to at least be honest. There, I don't feel he has any necessarily an obligation to look after other fighters. I believe that he does lay that on a little bit thick to try and get kudos, to try and get people behind him to support his cause, and his cause is more than likely making as much money as he can for himself. I I, I feel like he probably hey, does like to. I feel like he probably wants to. I just don't if know. That could, if that could be a side effect, great. Right. But his first and foremost priority is to himself because if you look at some of the people that competed on his boxing cards, some of the people right down low on the uh, the prelims were earning shit, you know? And the people in the PFL, unless they win the, the million dollars, they're not making millions of dollars either. And now all the people in the Super League are going to get it. If you really gave a shit, it's say, I'll come on board and I'll sign and I'll help you promote it and I'll bring my legions of fans, but I want every fucking person on this roster to receive 50% of it. He could have said that, but he didn't. He didn't say that. He said, yeah, cool. Me and some other washed up superstars that I can fight. Please, nobody that can wrestle, nobody that can box, somebody with a fucking name. Maybe we take uh, a celebrity 
uh, that used to play cricket or perhaps hosted a game show on TV that was to try MMA. I fucking guarantee it's going to be someone like that. John, if you had to pick an MMA fighter for Jake Paul's first MMA fight, what do you think we're going to see? No, I think you're right. I think it's going to be somebody that really leaves a lot to be desired, but you also have to recognize that, again, I'm largely judging them based upon this promotional announcement and Jake Paul's work ethic and success as a boxer and promoter yeah. up until this point. But, Can't fold that stuff. But obviously, you guys know, and certainly Michael is a former UFC champion, the pay-per-view buys and the money, it increases exponentially if you get to a certain threshold. But I'm not saying that they're going to have him fight Anthony Showtime Pettis or Jeremy Stevens or a big-name MMA guy, but if you trot him out against some no-name, who's buying that pay-per-view? Well, nobody bought it for... And by the way, I'm not sitting here hating. This is our job, what we do as analysts, as podcasters, and just shooting the breeze in terms of what we know about the fight game. The idea was three guys sitting in a bar talking about what we love. So there's no agenda, I don't believe, for many of us. We're just we're throwing out potential theories. I've got nothing particularly against Jake Paul. I find some of him... Some of, some of what he does to be very entertaining. I find some of it to be a little obnoxious. But, you know, regardless, I've got no problem against him whatsoever. But I don't know. I think we're going to... I mean, him and Anderson Silva didn't sell well at all. Right. right. If him and Anderson Silva does not sell well, then who could it be? Who is going to sell well? If him and Anderson Silva does not sell... I mean, maybe that's, the, maybe that's the MMA turn, though. It, it's... He's got to find something new and fresh and different to kind of, I don't know, maybe bring more eyes to it because it makes me a little bit more curious. Like, I could have watched the Anderson Silva fight or not watched it. I don't think it would have mattered to me. But the MMA thing intrigues me a little bit. Yeah, I think part of the MMA turn, Michael, is, right, because the boxing numbers, at least of late, have left yeah. a bit to be discussed. Michael Bisping signs with PFL. They got one. They got one idiot. They got one. Okay, are you sick? I've seen money go out of your bank account not knowing what it's for. Or in, in fact, maybe you're just unaware of it. Well, listen, that's where Rocket Money is going to come in, right? Formerly known as True Bill. What it is, all those subscriptions that you sign up for, it allows you to cancel them very, very simply on an app. All you do is press cancel. There'll be a bunch. You probably aren't even aware of how many that you have, right? And what we're telling you right now, this could save you thousands or hundreds per year, right? There's all these little gizmos, there's all these little apps, there's all these little integrations, and you sign up for free, but then after a little while, you know, it starts coming out of your bank account, and you forget about it, you know, $2 here, $3 there. I just use Rocket Money to, I just figured out I have a DAZN subscription that I didn't even know about. As it turns out, I didn't cancel it, because I thought, oh, I, I like to watch fights, but I wasn't even aware that I had that. Yes, I have been hitting the head many, many times. But if you want to cancel your subscriptions, number one, just knowing which you have, which ones you have, which ones you've signed up to, that's hard. Cancelling them is very difficult. A lot of the time you have to call the bank. One time Rebecca got so annoyed with it that she just cancelled her credit card and got a new card to come. But then that caused all kinds of logistical problems because all the regular payments that come out linked to that card all failed. So it created a whole mess. So if we had rocket money, it would have been very simple. As I say, all you do is download the app. And then you look at it, the app shows all your subscriptions in one place and cancels what you don't want. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions that you didn't know you were paying for. You may even find out that you've been double charged for subscriptions here and there. As I said, to cancel one, all you got to do is press cancel. And then Rocket Money does the rest. So what are you waiting for? Start saving and cancel unnecessary subscriptions today with Rocket Money. 
go to rocketmoney.com slash believe. Seriously, this could save you hundreds per year. Money you can be spending on fun. Money you can spend on loved ones. Beer. Alcohol. I don't know. Whatever you want to spend your cash on. Food. That's a good one. You want to live. Don't eat too much, though. You might look like Harrington. Okay? Eat too little. You might be all skinny like Brian. But whatever you want to spend your money on, go ahead. Okay? Go to rocketmoney.com slash believe. <laughs> all right? It will save you hundreds. I'm telling you. This thing, this app, Rocket Money, it's 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 a game changer. Get involved. Rocketmoney.com slash believe. Uh, all right. Well, listen, I think we're going to get over to questions in just a second. Is there anything big that's happening or breaking Harrington in the news that we haven't seen or discussed uh, before we do questions? And let John get the hell out of here. Thank you again, John. No, no. I think you guys... Pleasure. All right, all right. I love telling the Believe You Me audience every time I come on that Bisping used to fucking hate my guts when he was watching me on ESPN UK about 15 years ago. I did, so. I did, now we're boys, though. That's all oh, fucking bad. right we are. Well, a lot of Damn. people in television feel misunderstood, and uh, I have so much respect for you now. I'm glad we were able to bury the hatchet. That's actually really interesting, and I'm sure you found this at some point, Anthony, as well, because I did. I remember when I lived, I'd moved house. I was living on 72 Pendle Drive. Right, and I was, and then the uh, what was it? MMA? What was it called? MMA Live. MMA Live on ESPN. Right, I was like, oh, whoa! This oh. is before any of the Fox stuff, and he, I, he, oh. I was like, <laughs> I fucking hate this guy. I was like, and this is back 2009, 13 years ago. You know, I was a lot younger. I was way more immature and hot-headed. I ever see that motherfucker? <laughs> I'm gonna fucking grab him by the fucking throat and make him answer some questions. Have you ever had that experience with anyone on TV and don't say me? Yeah, I mean, I, there's, you know, not a not a day or show goes by, I think, where somebody isn't upset about something, right? Even if you take, like, the Power Slap League, okay, right? I have a lot of friends who are working on that show. Now, I can sit here and, to your audience, say I'm very surprised that the Nevada State Athletic Commission would sanction something that, to me, just looks like trauma and not martial arts, Right. But if I publicly support that league, I got everybody coming after me, right? When I'm just trying to support my friends, you know? So I have much thicker skin than I did, obviously, back in the day. And, you know, obviously, we talked about my preparation earlier. You know, part of the reason why I take the job so seriously is maybe my fear of failure and not wanting to, you know, do wrong by a fighter in a public setting. But, yeah, I got a pretty uh, expansive list of people that will be happy the day I retire. That is, that is, you just said something there, your fear of failure, John. And, and, and you know, I think that's kind of what drives me, essentially. I think if you whittle it down to the actual core reason, it's a fear of failure, you know, in whatever capacity it is that you do in life. Do you resonate with that, Anthony? I, I do, especially at work when I'm working the desk. There is nothing more terrifying to me right now than whether it be Dan Helley or Karen Bryant or Megan O'Leary or John on a pay-per-view come to me with a question about a fighter that maybe if we went through the format, because John is very, we flow really well. So like some of the shit we talk about, we had no intention of talking about. But if he wants to pull like the featured prelim, which typically just to pull the curtain back a little bit, the fight before that, we almost never talk about. So, Anthony, tell me about Gadji Umar Gadjinev or whatever. <laughs> right. Like, and you're like, oh. he hits you with some shit, and you're like, 
I don't know anything about that guy, you know, like, or I'm not refreshed on it, or I haven't watched his last couple of fights. Like, that is absolutely terrifying to me. Because I, one, I don't want to look like an idiot on TV. Two, I don't want John Anik to know that I wasn't prepared. Like, there's, it's, because I know he is. He comes, he's got his notes that are this tall and they're stacked and he, he's rattling through them and it's the, the, the energy is high and we're all hype. I don't want to fuck all that up when it comes to me with a question about maybe someone that we weren't supposed to talk about. I want John Anik to know that he can just pull a fight from the card and I'll have at least something on it. Maybe it'll be light depending on how far up he wants to go. But yeah, uh, yeah. So I, yeah, I do resonate with that because I don't want to, I don't want to fuck it all up. I don't, I'm afraid of looking like an idiot or, or, you know, I don't know, I guess letting down my coworkers. Well, speaking of looking like an idiot, Harrington, what the fuck are you doing here? You know, we're having like a, we're having three bros. We all work in the, in the, in the broadcasting side of things. We're talking about our fears. Okay. We're getting personal. You just fucking waltz on like, like you own the show. What do you want? Well, I'd be honest. I would feel like a failure in my job. If I didn't hit you with the breaking news that came out since we've started this show, uh, Kelvin Gastelum is out of this weekend's main event and he will be replaced by Sean Strickland. It'll be a 205 pound fight. No way. Well, thank It'll you. Be on what? And by it's the way, 205? Hold on, hold on, hold on. By the way, Harrington, people always give me shit. They say I'm picking on Harrington. It's busting goddamn balls. Thank radio. you. I know. It's in a podcast and a radio. You destroy your producer. It's the way it, it goes. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. So, John, the way you had a smug little grin. You I was going to say the same thing. John. You were privy to that information. And yeah. John, I checked my already. email. Hold on. Is there anything from one Zach Candido? I'm so sure there is. Four years ago, I was added to a UFC internal email chain, and I get now fight announcements as they happen and cancellations as they happen. The reason I'm on that chain is obviously because I'm prepping oftentimes 10, 12 days out. I voice, like, I'm going to voice UFC 283, the Brazil pay-per-view, while I'm here in New Orleans here in a couple days, right? So I'm on that list so that I get that information so I don't voice a fight that's already been canceled. So, yes, that happened a couple hours ago. So what's the yeah, deal with Gastelum? Why the injury? I don't know what the injury is, but Nasordini Mavov, who was to take part in his first UFC main event, is now fighting Sean. Hey, fair play. Fair play to Strickland because otherwise... You know, there's some tremendous fights on that card, right? But without that, the biggest star on that fight card, of course, that's why he's in the main event, Kelvin Gastelum, you know, right? One of the greatest fights we've seen with Israel Adesanya. Knocked me out. Bloody, he's been, he's, you know, he's he's had a tremendous career. For him to fall off that card could be absolutely disastrous. And I'll tell you, and Imovov has got to get credit as well for agreeing to step up to 205 on just a few days' notice and Sean Strickland stepping in, Anthony. That that seems like a lateral movement to me. I don't think you lose anything there. Uh, if anything, yeah. I think you get a little bit of juice because it's new and everything gets a little bit of a a little nice. gusto when it's brand new. Uh, Sean Strickland. Sean Strickland's been in five fights probably since he fought um, Jared Cannonier. So I'm sure he's in shape. I, yeah. So there's no way that guy can go. Lights. Yeah. Like there's no way that he can't. Not, he he cannot not train. It's just not possible. He's right. too. He's too. He's got too many screws loose. He's too crazy. I, I love Sean Strickland. He's he's a good guy, but he's he, that man has to train to keep everybody safe. But dude, like for Imavov, right? Going, he's going to be a two to one favorite against Kelvin, right? And now all of a sudden, he's probably going to be the underdog against Sean. He was a two to one favorite over Gastelum. It didn't open that big, but he was minus two oh five at last. 
just remind me off the top of my head, Gastelum's recent form. Well, that was an issue, right? So he was actually supposed to fight Imavov last April. KG didn't fight at all last year, right? He had the two main events against Whitaker and Cannoneer at the end of 2021. Just had to pull out of a lot of fights, and then obviously this one during fight week. So uh, not ideal. Gastelum, he's in a tough place, isn't it? You know, because he is so talented. He's so fast. Yes, Harrington, you're back again, no doubt. You got a little... Oh, And he's young. And he's young. What is he, like 31 now, 32, something like that? Oh. Oh, shit. So this is the picture that I'm finding on the internet when I Google Kelvin Gastelum injury. Rough. Yeah, but maybe... Is that an old one or is that new, Brian? Well, that looks like a guy that can still fight. I was just going to say, right? Yeah. You just get a new mouthpiece made because you're missing a tooth and you just go do the damn thing. Yeah, one would have thought so. You know, a lot of these hillbillies. I mean, who am I to you know, you know, Not like I've ever lost teeth in a fight before. Yeah, 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 exactly. Just just, just put them to one side for the referee to hold for a while. All right, listen, we're going to do some questions. But, uh, Harrington, we went to Twitter, John, right? So I don't know what these are, and I don't know which ones Harrington's going to pick. Questions for one John Anik. So, Harrington, the floor is yours. The light is bright on your face. Not as bright as Anthony Smith was a minute ago. You looked, you were speaking about Blade. You looked like the Daywalker, bro. Uh, <laughs> you've drawn a curtain. Uh, Harrington, take it away, my friend. All right. Yeah, sorry. My good camera's broken, so I'll make and do with what I got. Uh, Nick Brugman. You're and you're not coming through your microphone broken. either. Is it really? It's a, oh, my goodness. This it's is a nightmare. A uh, so Nick Brugman would like to know... Um, Sorry, I can't. Yeah, I'm all disconnected here. Nick Brugman wants to know, he's a college student studying sports journalism right now. John, what was the biggest break you had getting into the business that you're in? So I got on ESPN Radio, the national network, in 2006. And that was essentially what got me into Bristol, Connecticut. I was sort of a struggling radio guy in Boston, Massachusetts. I was... I would literally come home from work, smoke a bowl, and send out demo tapes. Like, that's what I would do every day. And nobody would write me or call me back. And lo and behold, I got a call from the ESPN Radio National Network in Bristol, Connecticut. And once I got in that building, I was able to migrate over to TV and eventually host MMA Live, which laid the foundation for this opportunity. But, I mean, a lot of my career is, like, better lucky than good, like right place, right time. Like, I happen to be the MMA guy at ESPN when the UFC was doubling its schedule from 20 to 40 shows. You know, there weren't that many guys. So, uh, but, yeah, biggest break for me, definitely, uh Bristol, Connecticut, ESPN Radio knows. So that was something, though, that you always wanted to do because I know Brendan Fitzgerald speaks about it as well. You know, this is this was his dream. He always wanted to be a commentator or a sports broadcaster. Yeah. So you grew up with that passion and that desire? Yeah, I mean, I wanted to be a sports writer for the Boston Globe and then I wanted to be on the radio. I never wanted to do television ever, ever, ever. Uh, I wanted to work all sports, but I never wanted to do TV. Anthony, and just on that note, I mean... Let, let, let me ask, I mean, because you, obviously you work on ESPN, you know, you, you, you're on the broadcast all the time, and so am I. It still blows my mind to this day, you know what I mean? Because I grew up, I left school at 16, I'm sure you have a kind of a similar story, Anthony, and it's certainly not a silver spoon, and yeah, here we are, yes, my background, I'm retired as a fighter, you're still kicking ass, and hopefully you're going to get that belt soon. But also, we're working on TV, and sometimes I still have to pinch myself and go, wow, not only do I work for the UFC, it's the number one goddamn organization and probably the coolest sport on the goddamn planet. Do you ever think that sometimes, Anthony? Every single time when someone says, 
oh well hey how, how did how'd you get that gig and i was thinking ah, fuck i don't know i'm just i'm still <laughs> trying to figure it out uh i've always credited dan hardy and michael bisbing with launching my my broadcasting career dan hardy i was it was the shogun fight i believe um him and i got to got to rapping in our fighter meeting he was calling the fights and we just talked for like 30 minutes no one else had had even even had an opportunity to ask any questions and there were guys this is great but we have we were talking about fights that were five years before and then five years in the future that we wanted to see um they added a 30 minute segment or 30 minute like uh like a facebook live thing to every single one of my media days after that for just dan hardy and i from that that kind of morphed wow. into that morphed into the lion's den on sirius xm dan brought me on to sirius xm and then that turned into an opportunity to to work the desk when john jones fought uh alexander gustafson the second time when it moved from vegas to uh, anaheim i believe and um and then i was i was fucking tanking the whole thing i was doing terrible i didn't know what a format was i didn't know any of the lingo i had no idea what layout meant or rap or what i didn't know anything but i was tanking in the in the rehearsal and michael bisbing said hey if you ever get stuck or you're you're feeling uncomfortable or you're lost just look at me i always have something to say and just that kind of safety net and not and not feeling so i guess vulnerable while i was up there hell i'm not sure if i ever did it or not i don't remember but um that saved me a lot and i uh, you can even I can go back and watch it and see that like at, as the show went on, I got more and more comfortable, you know, even going back and forth with Mike. And, and so, yeah, no, I no, I, I never thought that I was going to work on TV. I never thought I was, I thought that I'd get punched in the face until I couldn't do it anymore. And then have to go get a real job. Hey, and Anthony, do you know how I know that story with you and Dan Hardy? Hmm. And this, I just thought you'd like to know this is because yeah. obviously Zach is a very key player. He's the head of production. I know that story because Zach told me that story. You know what I mean? And how impressed he was and how everyone there, you know, the powers that be, shall we say, were all so very impressed. So, yeah, I already knew that one. Uh, Harrington, what else we got for John? Shimei wants to know, do you ever wake up in the middle of the night screaming, the fight clock is brought to you by Mojella? <laughs> all the time. All the time. It scares the hell out of my family. But it's funny because, you know, I did get a sponsorship deal from Modelo. I'm wearing their shirt today, right? Just being on being the man on this earth who trotted out their tagline more than any other. And I can't tell you how many times on social media, someone will go buy a P3 protein snack and all they want to do is send me a picture of it, you know? And I do think a lot of people, they hear these advertisements in my voice. And so they associate me with these products, you know? Uh, so yeah, no, uh, hopefully I'm not scaring people in the middle of the night, but, uh, this fight card is brought to you by Modelo. No, <laughs> there it is. Harrison, give us two more, and then we're going to go to the the regular questions for the show that we'll finish off with. And thanks again, John, for your time. And Anthony, yeah, thanks. I guess. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Shut, shut up, light. Or whatever. You know, didn't do any research. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, all right, John. Uh, Big Bisping wants to know who are your three favorite Boston athletes of all time. So recently I had to come up with like my list of the top 10 greatest Boston athletes of all time, which was a very difficult exercise. Number one all time is going to be Nomar Garcia-Para, former Boston Red Sox shortstop. I was a big Antoine Walker fan growing up, you know, employee number eight. I was a Celtics season ticket holder about 20 years ago. So I always begin the conversation with Nomar Garcia-Para and Antoine Walker. 
And I guess I should probably name a New England Patriot, but I'm going to say Trot Nixon, and another Boston Red Sox. You know, it's a baseball town. I grew up a big baseball fan. And, uh, yeah, I'll say Nomar Twan and uh, Trotman Nixon as my third favorite Boston athlete. Well, I'm sorry to say that those names mean absolutely nothing. nothing to what am I going to say? Kenny Florian or fucking no. Oh, my God. <laughs> Kenny Florian, you could have done. But, Anthony, you can you, name, done that. Anthony, can you name three Boston athletes? No, no. Well, regardless of, of if they're your, they're your favorite or not, but just can you reel off three well-known athletes? No, I'm not sure that I can. I'm not sure that I can. I'm not a big baseball guy, and I'm not a big basketball guy, so that kind of eliminates a large population of, yeah. of Boston athletes. All right, all right. Can you name three movies, and if you can't, John, we'll defer to you on this one, three movies set in Boston? Blockbusters. <laughs> No, 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 not for Anthony Smith, because the joke is he doesn't watch movies. I don't, so I absolutely can't. Come Who knows where the hell a movie's made at? Or, like, oh. set it at? Whatever. You watch the movie. I don't watch the fucking it. movies. And the fucking uh, Boston. I'm too busy fucking yeah. trying to win a world title here, Michael Bisman. John, three, three movies. motion pictures have taken place in Boston. The Departed, The Town, Goodwill Hunting. Handily, though, I get a little bit exposed, like, Anthony Lionheart Smith, right, when it comes to some of the movies and the music and the pop culture, right? I've said repeatedly, like, when we show celebrities on pay-per-view, I'm always freaking out. Like, I know the fighters, but I didn't, like, prep the actors that are going to be fucking sitting octagon side. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, I have no idea who they are. Uh, Harrison, one more, please. All right. No love for Billy Miller, huh? Okay. Uh, let's see. Who, who has the best... All right, this is a good final one. Who has the best hair in MMA commentary? Kenny Florian or Michael Bisping? <laughs> you know, it was crazy when Bisping had that beard grown out in Bulgaria. It looks like you've trimmed it up a little bit. But Kenny Florian was born in May of 1976, and he does not have so much as a gray hair on Really? Him. So as much as I love your glowing, that is, Michael, if this is a hair competition, Kenny Florian is top of the podium. Without question. Without question. I Gray. It's crazy. He's like, I was like, do you dye your beard? He's like, no, I don't quite get it either. It's 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 black, it's auburn, but no white hairs at all. But on top of being, and I'm assuming that's the head of hair as well, not just the beard. Yeah. On top of being a great guy, okay, okay, first and foremost, tremendous at his job, amazing commentator, analyst, all the rest of it. The nicest guy you'll ever meet. Very, very funny, which you don't really get to see Kenny go into that. He's hilarious, but he doesn't really, you know, he, I don't know. He's very, he's very professional. You know what I mean? Oh, he doesn't let it go. Like he doesn't let the comedy go as much as I'd like him to on our show. But one of the most stylish motherfuckers that you'll meet as well. You know, God, yeah, I fashion hate forward. I know he's married. He's got, he's got it. All. I hate. Got the great hair, the great beard. He's married to a really man. awesome. Suit. I've only got Rebecca. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Uh, I wish we still had him. I wish we still had him with the UFC, though. You know. Oh God, me too. Me too. Um, all right, well, listen, John, you are the man. Anthony, you'll do. Um, if you have questions for us, ladies and gentlemen, please do send them into bympod at gmail.com. The funnier, the more interesting, the more random, the better. Please, Harrington, over to you. 
If you are listening to this on iTunes, Spotify, or, or wherever you find podcasts, make sure you subscribe and you leave a five-star rating, positive review, and it helps us out on those platforms. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe to the channel and you hit that notification bell to find out whenever a new episode comes out. And if you want to catch over 400 episodes ad-free and completely uncensored, head to gascitalnetwork.com, use the promo code BYM, get a seven-day free trial, check out over 20 great shows on the network. All right, Brian. What do we have this week? All right, boys. This time we have a question here from Hayden McCoy. Hi, Anthony. What's up, fellas? Big fan of the show. Never miss an episode. I've been doing jujitsu for like six months now, and I'm getting ready for my first competition. So I was just wondering what kind of advice you guys had for uh, white belts getting ready to compete in jujitsu. So thanks. Anthony, I'll let you go first because that's a tough one. Let me think of something intelligent. No, uh, there's there, no. I don't think this is an intelligent qu- type of answer, Mike. I think as a white belt competing for the first time in jujitsu, I think you need to go in with zero expectations because it's gonna be, it's gonna be totally different from whatever the hell you expect it's gonna be. It's gonna be different. Um, it's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, I would I would urge you to not put too much pressure on yourself because jujitsu competitions, especially as a white belt, don't matter. I love jujitsu well, competitions because it's fun exciting intense competition with absolutely zero repercussions it doesn't matter like if your name is Hodger Gracie or Gordon Ryan people are keeping track of wins and losses but if you're just a regular goddamn dude doing jiu-jitsu at your local gym and you're having a goddamn blast doing it and you fucking love it doesn't really matter whether you win or you lose well said far more eloquently than I could put it, but you're absolutely right. And that's kind of what I was going to say. At the end of the day, why did you start doing jujitsu? Probably a multitude of reasons, but one of them was for fun. And why are you signing up to this competition? To test your progress. You're not necessarily going to win anything. You know, if you win the competition, you get a little trophy or a medal. That's beautiful, but it's not life-changing. So go out there and just do it for the reason that you wanted to do it. The reason why you signed up, the reason why you started jujitsu. And realize, as Anthony said, you're in a white belt local jujitsu tournament. It's a bit of fun and what that will do will eradicate the fear the pressure the game day nerves that cripples and paralyzes a lot of people but john you talk about the fights all the time you ever do any jujitsu or anything like that yeah i mean i took like seven jujitsu classes with uh marcos damata yeah yeah oh what a guy pop beach branch so they didn't have a beginner's class in coconut creek so i went to west pop beach I didn't really like it. I fucking hated it, if being honest. I mean, I took boxing <laughs> lessons for two years way back in the day. I was hosting the Mouthpiece Boxing radio show in Boston. Really enjoyed striking more than jujitsu. I do think eventually jujitsu will creep back into my life to some degree. I mean, Pahumpa's trying to get me to, like, mat up my garage and come do privates. Uh, I'm starting to get the itch to do jujitsu again, but at least right now uh, I'm not practicing any martial arts. I do do strength and conditioning with Gilbert Burns' guy at the Institute of Human mm-hmm. Performance once a week in South Florida. But uh, right now I'm hitting golf balls and not pet. You in D.C., that's all I That's all I hear about from D.C., the bloody golf. It's like, don't play it. He's like, Mike, come on, in Singapore. I'm like, I don't play golf. He's like, you can drink beer, you know. I'm like, yeah, I know, but I don't want to drink it on a fucking golf course. I'll drink it at a bar or, like most of the time, in my hotel room by myself, like a real sad, depressed person. Like, like a real man. Yeah, like a real man. Uh, Brian, do we have two more, please? And then I'm sure John's looking at the clock saying, Jesus Christ, I don't have this one. We do. This next one is from uh, Matt from Florida. What's up, guys? This is Matt from Florida. Uh, I got two quick questions. One for Anthony Smith. If the UFC needed you, 
They were in dire straits. They needed you to fill in to fight Alexander Pereira, middleweight belt. I know you like 205. I think you said you'll never go back to 185, but if if it played out like that, would you take the fight, and how do you think you'd do? And my other question is for, you know, the gentleman, Mr. S uh, Bisbing. Anthony Smith's given us an address that's done free shit, too. I've sent him multiple free things. What what are you, too good, Michael? Too good to give out an address to get free shit for a bunch of people who make way less money than you? You're too good for free shit? Bro. Well, you know, I guess it is Anthony's fucking podcast, so. Yeah. <laughs> fuck you, Harrington. Have a good 2023. Yeah, fuck you, Harrington. And fuck you as well. I didn't quite catch you there, Mr. Texas. <laughs> Okay, first of all, John, the running joke is that it's now Anthony's podcast, which it is, even though I do all the fucking work. Uh, <laughs> secondly, do you think Anthony gave out his home address? No. Anthony, was that your home address that you gave out on the podcast? <laughs> no, it was the gym. Yeah, exactly. And half of this yeah. shit behind here, people send to me. Figure it out. Because if you're a true fan, because there's some psychos. John, have you ever had this in Anthony? There are some people out there. I get loads of fan mail. I know that sounds douchey, but... Yeah, I do too. Let, let me retry that. Occasionally, a letter arrives to me uh, from an admirer of the sports. <laughs> loads of fan mail. Uh, no, but I do, and it creeps me out a little bit because it's like they've figured out they've somehow found my personal address. Do you know what I mean? And I'm not overly comfortable with that. I get fan mail all the time to my home address from as far away as Korea, actually, within the last two weeks. Yeah, and oftentimes I find myself wondering aloud, like, how do they get the home address so easily? Very grateful, by the way. I hope that didn't come out wrong. Very, very grateful. But sometimes, you know, you think, how the hell have they done that? And, and my mom probably didn't help because just recently she sent us a Christmas card, obviously with the address on. Put my phone number on the envelope as well. I'm like, oh, oh no. <laughs> I'm like, Mom, don't do that. You know, Anthony, what was your question? I'm sorry, I forgot. Oh, would I fight? Would I fight uh, Alex Pereira? Sorry, John. Pereira or. So the way you just said it is acceptable, right? So there are a lot of people okay. who just can't roll the R. You know, I can't either. The, the whole key is there's no H in there. It, the, yeah. Both of the R's are hard. Pereira or Pareda, you know? Pareda. Pareda. But it's not Pereira, you know. There's no right. H sound. It's Pereira or Pereira. Don't but, but but can I ask a question, John? And I'm not trying to be funny or anything like that. But so like some people announce certain words a certain way because they have an accent, right? But if I'm not from that country, like like Pereira or when I said Barar, Barar, right? Do you know what I mean? Paul Creed. Right, I'm not scorned, so I'm not taking <laughs> Paul Craig. Right, like, do you understand what I mean? I mean, where do you draw the line? Because, because it's a tricky one. Because, like, let's just say, and this is a very, very, very extreme circumstance. If somebody was from China, we wouldn't say it like that, because I would be called racist. No, I mean, and you, honestly, you and somebody, I mean, I'm yes, like, no, we're trying to draw the line, and trivialize it. I'm like, but, but, but where do you say? So sorry, John, I'll let no, you talk. Right. We opened up a can even just by having all the fighters say their name to tape, right? Because a lot of those audio files are open to interpretation. But I'll tell you one very quick story. The Boston Please. Red Sox back in the day signed a pitcher from Japan, very famous acquisition. His name was Daisuke Matsuzaka. I'm working at ESPN Radio at the time, and our process was to Americanize Japanese names. 
So the first time I said that player's name on the radio, I said Daisuke. The Boston Red Sox ended up issuing a press release. I said, I know they said, I know you guys have your processes, but he's fucking Daisuke. Stop calling him Daisuke, you know? But there are a lot of Japanese athletes who are named Daisuke who are called Daisuke by announcers around the world. So we try to get it as close as we can, um, knowing full well that there are going to be certain regionalisms and certain accents that you just can't, you know, mimic. And you wouldn't call him Dusaki because in my very childish brain, I just want to say, suck dick. Do you know what I mean? It sounds too much like suck dick. Okay. <laughs> as long as you're emphasizing the right syllable. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right. I got one question for John. I'm just adding all sorts of shit. I, I could sit here and just ask John questions all day long. This is one argument we get in every single time he fights. Kennedy and Zetchiku. And Zetchiku. Yeah. Fuck yeah. But again, this is one. Yeah, you both nailed it. But this is a guy whose file lacked clarity. So I actually. All right. He said it like two or three different ways. The other one being. And Zechuku. Exactly. Yes. So I sat down with him once and I was like, hey, Kennedy and Zechuku. And he's like, oh, that's beautiful. I was like, was it right? I mean, because you said it three different ways on the fucking file, you know? So yes, it's Zechuku. <laughs> that's funny. He's like, oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. All right, Brian, give us a final question, please, my friend. All right. We got one here from a Mr. Kyler. He didn't say where he was from. All right, Brian, please leave this one on until Anthony comes on. All right, got a question to state. Question, I have trouble eating a lot before bedtime, and I wonder if you guys struggle from the same thing. I don't remember you guys talking about it, but cutting weight, and I just wonder if you struggle from the same thing. And uh, my statement, Bisming, you talk a lot of, about going to see Anthony in Arkansas, but I think it would actually be really good for you and your family to go visit them because it's like a different way of life the way they live and it's kind of similar to Canada and honestly Bisbing you guys have been talking a lot about life short and all these other things in the podcast lately and it just keeps making me think like you guys would be such stronger friends if you actually hung out and you guys really need to go do that and Harrington congratulations on the baby you guys have a great year keep up the great things on the pod I love it boys oh, well thank you very much the, or, or the possibilities that I go hang out with them today and we hate each other and we have no podcast. So you never thought that through. There is different right. eventualities. Um, what did he ask? What was the, oh, food. Right? Was he talking about eating too much right before bed? Uh, I think, think that's so. what he meant? I think so. Yeah, that's yeah. what he asked. So John, for people who don't know this, you're an avid runner, right? You work out a lot. I mean, look, you're in great shape. You're always lean. You know, do you want to answer that question? I mean, what is your nighttime eating regimen? Well, you know, obviously my relationship with cannabis sometimes complicates things in terms of the monthies a little bit. But generally speaking, when I'm in a non-fight week, I'm not too worried about the clock with my eating. You know, I have a lot of intermittent fasting that just happens naturally. Most of the cardio I do at home is fasted cardio. So I usually take like a 14-hour gap from the last thing I ingest at night because I don't eat breakfast a lot. Uh, but certainly like during a UFC fight week, because my suits are pretty tight, um, and my weight does fluctuate that uh, I eat a lot cleaner during like a pay-per-view week. And for a lot of us off the UFC roadshow, it's actually reverse, right? They like, they eat cleaner at home and then they eat like shit on the road. Whereas for me, yeah. it's like, I let myself go a little bit at home and then when I'm on the road, I try to be clean. Anthony? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the same way. I'm, I'm fairly clean when I'm not at home, especially if I'm in camp, I'm fairly clean. But when I get on the road, 
That's a fucking wrap. It's DoorDash, Uber Eats, Drizzly delivering vodka and ginger beer. It's fucking, it's ugly. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I've talked about this a bunch of times, so I don't want to go on about it too long. But having said that, you know, we're working in Perth, Australia soon. When we go to Perth, it's the hit, It's the middle of summer. You know what I mean? It's tops off. We're going to be at the beach. People are at the pool at the hotel. I don't want to be that former world champion that's walking around, not taking my shirt off at the pool because I'm too embarrassed because everyone's like, oh, you put a few pounds on there, champ, have you? Because the reality is, yeah, I've put a few fucking pounds on, okay? But I'm on it like a car bonnie, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm losing a little bit. I was 231. 226 this morning, Anthony. From Thursday to Monday, by the time we get to Perth, by the time we get to Perth, I'm going to be fucking doing that pay-per-view topless with a tie around my neck, a microphone, ready to fucking rock. Are you still not drinking? Not drinking. Not drinking. That's the big one. Since when? Since when? Right. So. (laughs) Okay. Okay. This is true. This is true. This is true. My new year just started. Because Lucas went back to school today. And Rebecca is like, she like she's enjoying the break. She's up at 5.30 or 6 a.m. every day, right? Because Lucas does what they call zero period. He starts super early, so he finishes early. That was his crazy choice. So she's like, no, 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 no. I'm not setting an alarm. I'm enjoying this time. So I'm like, all right. So my new year started yesterday, okay? Just... So it's been two days. <laughs> you got to have to start somewhere, Mike. But, but, I'm, but I'm not drinking. I'm, I'm done. I'm over it. And I know all the believers have heard me say this a million times. We'll we'll no, 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 no. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, right? Because alcohol has been a negative influence in my life and I'm sick of it. And I'm sick of feeling like shit in the morning. And I'm sick of putting on weight and I'm sitting sick of trying to constantly counteract the negative impacts of, do you know what I mean? By having to run and diet and all the rest of it. I could just not drink. And then we all fall into this trap of where it's in a social setting, I guess it's almost addictive where, oh, you have a drink. You don't have to have a drink, you know? And that was my mind and I was kind of brainwashed like that or formatted from growing up in the north of England. It's my excuse anyway. Oh, my dad kicking the fuck out of me every day, one or the other. But still, uh, we're done in many ways, in every way, in all but one way, John. That's the end of the show. Can I just real quick? Just real quick. Just want to jump in here. If they do want to send you stuff, 151 First Avenue, New York, New York, box P, box 311, uh, zip code 1003, Gas Digital Network, care of Michael Bisping. We'll get Thank it. Thank you very much, Howard, because I want some bits and bobs. John, do you have bits and bobs on the Annick Florian podcast? And by bits and bobs, we mean just random things in the background? Yes, we do. Not as extensive as the bits and bobs here on Believe You Babe. Well, well, we're known for our bits and bobs. But that's oh, boxes are pretty expensive if you try to get one on your own. I did look into it. It's pretty grandy. For what? Oh, shit. Really? It's a P.O. box, right? If you wanted to have a place, because I don't live in Las Vegas, right? So oftentimes I'll give the UFC headquarter address. But see, I'd rather buy the bits and bobs than them thousands of dollars. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the show. Big thank you to John Anik, of course, Anthony Smith, Harrington, and Brian. See you on Thursday with Leon Rocky Edwards and Paul Craig. 